But because of its free-to-play roots, yeah, it was it's very very easy to create new content and don't starve it. So it was built to create content, right? Because you need to service that thing, and so that turned out to be extremely helpful. If your guy kept dying, which I assume was always part of the plan, or mm-hmm. if that was possible, how was it going to work as a free-to-play game? It's a really good question. <laughs> okay. Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to Jamie Cheng, founder of Clay Entertainment. Jamie started his career at Relic, working as a programmer on games like Dawn of War and The Outfit. While leading Clay, Jamie played an important role in the design and development of the Shanks series, Mark of the Ninja, Don't Starve, and Invisible Ink. So what I usually start with with uh, with people is um, I ask them you know what's what's the first video game they remember right yeah remember is uh, is a good one since I'm sure I played uh, games earlier than that but the first one I would remember is on uh, the Famicom and yeah. uh, it would be uh, the original Zelda yeah uh, you know going to the dungeons and actually the the original we had the 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 uh, red and white one mm-hmm. in Japan because I grew up in Hong Kong oh okay. And uh, it came with the the second controller, uh, which had a microphone in it. Do you know that one? Mm-mm. No, I mean I just saw the regular Nest that we got over here. So oh yeah, I've never so seen a Famicom. So the the original Famicom had uh, their second controller actually had a microphone built in. Okay. Um, and uh, there's this uh, um, mechanic in um, in the original Zelda where there are the bunny monsters, mm-hmm. and if you shout it into the microphone, it would kill the monsters. Wow. I had no idea about yeah. that. It's... So you would actually just kind of blow into it and say, you're like, Whoosh! right, uh, to make noise, right? And uh, it, was, it was a, you know, like, that's that's what Nintendo had always been doing. They'd always been pushing yeah. forward on all these weird things that, that nobody really knew about. Yeah. Huh. I had no idea that sort of, like, bizarro DNA was still in them, like, way back then. Absolutely. In fact, I have the um, the 20th uh, anniversary edition version of the, uh, the GBA, the, mm-hmm. the Micro, okay. right? And uh, this the um, the speaker is where the microphone was, so it's just like it's just like this perfect mm-hmm. piece. It's my favorite machine ever. Right, it's, right. Yeah. Wow, cool. Mm-hmm. What I remember distinctly about Zelda was just this feeling of I hadn't ever played a game like that where you know you just went to one screen and then you went to another screen and then you went to another screen. And like right. it's like this this game just is just going to keep keeps going. Keeps going. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. What's going on with this game? It was so weird. Yeah. Um, we actually bought these. Um, we bought uh, uh, cheat manuals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, but they were all in Chinese, uh, so I couldn't understand the Japanese that was on screen, and okay. I also couldn't understand the Chinese that was in the books because I can't read Chinese or okay. English. So it was just kind of like this stumbling around, right. uh, looking at the screen, looking at the book, trying to figure out what the heck is what it's talking about, and then asking my dad what is this book saying and things like that. And some of the other game uh, would be one of the uh, original. Uh, there's a uh, there's a Dragon Ball game on the Famicom as well, and it was a terrible RPG. Uh, but I mean, at the time, it was. <laughs> Why do you say ridiculous. it was terrible? I've never played those. Like but. it's just, you know, janky as shit. You know, it's <laughs> the controls are terrible. You die and you start all over. I don't know. I just remember it being really, really bad. But even back then, 
it was um you know in hong kong again um the culture is that you pirate everything you right. just don't even think about it like it's who would buy the original thing it doesn't make any sense is is basically the way it would go <laughs> right yeah uh, and so uh, you, you, it came. Pirated, with, so like someone else would manufacture the cartridge. So what it actually came with is a custom um, a disc drive. Okay. That plugged oh. in on top of oh. the Famicom. Uh huh. And then there were these custom sized uh, uh, floppies. Wow. Hard floppies that you would put in. Uh huh. Right. And uh, and you would just buy the floppies. And they were just like this tiny, tiny fraction. Was of the, the disk drive used for anything else, or was it, it was just purely something made for piracy? It was literally a, uh, I think it was called Doctor, Doctor something. I can't quite remember. Sure, but it was literally cartridge box. It was exactly for the Famicom. It was right. a piece it fit of right product. Into the cartridge, it right. was a product. Yeah. for pirating Famicom games. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then uh, what it would do is you would load the discs in, and then it would um, put it into RAM, uh-huh. and then feed it into the game, and right. then feed it in. Wow, yeah. boy, I, I'm learning lots of stuff about Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I always assumed the cartridge, like that, was one of the reasons they did cartridges. Is this like you can't really pirate them? Oh, you can definitely pirate them, yeah. most definitely. And then later on in the in the SNES days, um, same thing. We bought a, the, a, a new. Um, a product that was uh, hardware that was the thing and it just used uh, uh, th- three and a half inch uh, floppies sure from then on yeah and I just had boxes and boxes of them right yeah. wow yeah I guess in the US we didn't have the desire to or the, the, the <laughs> I don't know what the right term is for it but well um, I think it's a distribution problem yeah um, so well, they're not, I mean are they even trying to sell in Hong Kong like so nobody could afford to buy a hundred dollar cartridge doesn't right. make any sense to, to you know uh, to people there so um, and they weren't cracking down on piracy back then in fact they didn't crack down on piracy until I left like in 97 or 2000 even they didn't really crack down on piracy so you would actually go to shops the computer shops and just blatantly they were just selling the copies sure and there was just like a booklet of like which game do you want yeah, yeah. And then you just be like, I want that game. And then they would have their floppies back there, and then they would just copy it onto the floppy and give you the floppy. Right. What was the price for those? Like, how were they so cheap? Because obviously they're they're creating them out of thin air. Or was or was there still a little bit of there was like, there was so cheap that I don't recall at all how much they were. What I do remember is I'll, I'll give you I will give you an anecdote on um, in the PlayStation days and the PC days when when I was playing a lot of PC games and PlayStation games, uh, they were doing CD ROMs. At that time, of course, um, and by that time they were doing a hundred dollars Hong Kong for seven games, and uh, at the time the exchange rate to U.S. dollars was probably like eight. So it was like eleven bucks. 12 eleven, bucks. twelve bucks for seven. Yeah, and you couldn't get less than seven. They wouldn't allow you to buy less than seven. So you had to pay the hundred dollars <laughs> and find seven, and so you would pick the two that you wanted, the right. two games you wanted, and then you would just like grab whatever. I guess I'll try this. I've never tried it, and you just grab whatever. Yeah. Right. So did you have those hundreds of games? Hundreds, then? easily hundreds. So, I mean, the hilarious thing is um, that's that's partly. I mean, that's a big reason why I'm a game developer today because I played so many damn games, right? Yeah. And uh, and it's because I pirated them all. If I didn't pirate them, I wouldn't be playing them sure yeah you had wide exposure right um yeah i grew up in a really small town where there just weren't enough people to pirate games period um i'm not sure if i really even thought about it at the time but for the most part i bought like four or five games a year 
And like those were those games, like I, I took I took tons of time figuring out like exactly which games to buy, yeah. And I got my use out of them, right? Which I think sort of affected like sort of how I play games. And I always wondered what it would be like to grow up in an environment where it was essentially unlimited. Right? That's exactly what it was. It was essentially unlimited. And so if it didn't grab us in like you know the first ten minutes, then we're just off to the yeah. next game. But did you get super deep on some games? Like play them for a hundred hours? Oh yeah, absolutely. And some weird ones too, because you would get so many that you don't know which one would grab you, right. and and nobody was there to tell me what what would grab me. So, for example, uh, one of the ones that that grabbed me was Aerobiz. I don't know if you yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. So it's like this airline, I guess, uh, <laughs> foreshadowing. I don't know. It's this like airline business. <laughs> Uh, a simulator, and you're okay. trying to run Whoa, your really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. awesome. You're trying to it was on the it was on the SNES, and you're trying to uh, figure out how to uh, optimize your business, your your airplane, and then you would buy airplanes and like do routes and and stuff like that, hub and spoke and all that. Jazz. Okay, that actually sounds kind of cool. Right? <laughs> like, it is. It was actually a very very good game. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another game that we spent a ridiculous amount of time on is. Uh, uh, SD Gundam X. Uh, probably, so it's so all these games that you probably never even heard of, I guess. They were Japanese, very Japanese. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those... Um, have you ever played any of those, like Front Mission and Mm-mm. any of those kinds of games? So so SD Gundam, it was, it was a uh, turn-based strategy game. Right. Um, and it's like a whole galaxy. And you build Gundams. Right. Right. And every turn, you would build your Gundams, and then they would move out. And uh, uh, and then the other side would do the same, but it was super complex because what would actually happen is it was multi. You can do multiplayer, mm-hmm. and it was a hex grid. And when you got close to each other, they would actually fight into a real time game. Okay. So a change view, and it's a side view of the Gundams fighting each other, and right. you are now actually controlling them. And your pilots can level up, mm-hmm. and then now your your Gundam moves faster and things like that. And then beyond that, if there are Gundams that are close by, they would join in the fight as mm-hmm. AIs. Right. And then beyond that, you could actually, you're in the galaxy and trying to get control points for money every turn, but you could actually go down into the planets as well. And right. that's a whole new world. Wow. So it's a huge scope. It was just a ridiculous, ridiculous scope. Do you, do you, I mean, it's hard, obviously it's hard to tell from... from your perspective at the time but like was that content was that authored content or were they coming up with stuff on the fly or i think that was generated yeah i think it was um I mean, but, there, were, there were a lot of games that did that back then and like we didn't yeah. people didn't really think about like kind of the That's difference right. between the two but like for sure those there was re- very limited memory so right i think that it was generated and also they also realized how ridiculously insane that was to do that game because the next version that came out was not multiplayer and did not have real-time battles <laughs> and did not go into planets. Wow. <laughs> so they just got rid of all of that. Wow, the rare, the rare, the rare sequel that cut, cuts, cuts, cuts. Yeah, that's, that's right. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Um, what, um, I mean, so at the time, I mean, you was this kind of like the primary, your primary hobby, basically, when yeah, you were that age? That's right. I just love playing video games. That's right. Um, did you think of like? Did you think about making video games at that time, or no. did it just seem like totally magical? It seems magical, absolutely magical. And I played so much that um, uh, I started I started sleepwalking about them. Wow! Okay. And uh, uh, and that was the time when I got cut off. My parents cut me off. Sleep. I mean, how was the sleepwalking obviously related to video games? Like literally, I played so much. Um, in the middle of the night, I woke up 
and I walked to my parents' place, uh, my parents' room, opened their door, and I started talking to them about the video game and saying, you know, it's you know, it's this is crucial because something something's going on. I think it was something <laughs> about Ogre Tactics at the time. Sure, yeah. And uh, and they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Are you sleepwalking? And I started. You know, getting mad at them because I'm like, why don't you understand what I'm talking about? Why yep. can't you understand? And then um, I remember this quite clearly. Slowly, I realized that I was not making any sense, and I was thinking, oh shit, <laughs> I'm in big trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> right? What is going to happen here? Yeah. And after that, I was only allowed to play in the weekends. So that was that. That was, yeah. that was the. Yeah, well, there's a certain age where, like, a game can just totally take over a kid's mind, right. you know, completely. Like, they're ready, ready to go go deep. What, it, from your perspective now, like, I mean, do you feel like that was healthy for you or not? Or, like, did, did you, do you feel like your parents were right to cut you off? Or what do you think? Cut me off? I don't know. It, You know, eventually they cut me off, but... Uh, you know how would they cut me off? They're at, they're at work, <laughs> right? And the reality of every video game kid, yeah. right? And and they like lock the computer with that the, the the shitty lock that they use on the thing, right? right? So I just went and found another one and I unlocked it, yeah. and then I was playing Civ two, for oh, example. You know, awesome. yeah. There you go. And uh, uh, so really, I just ended up just continually playing. It didn't really matter too much. Um, and uh, I guess it turned out okay. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What uh, I mean, so what less like as a you know as a designer and developer now, mm-hmm. like what what are the lessons you feel like you learned from then from games of that that period of your life that like extend forward now? I feel like it's just the breadth. You know, there was just huge breadth of, and uh, you know, I grew up with Japanese games um, uh, primarily, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and going to the arcades as well. There's just so many. It's kind of like the sky's the limit. It's kind of how it feels, right? So when we're designing a game now, it's just like there's so much to draw from. There's so much that you can try uh, that uh, either hasn't been tried for a very long time or hasn't been tried at all. Uh, and every time you, I go back to Hong Kong, which isn't often anymore, but you go to the arcades and it's just like, it's very, very different. Right. So I think that it just gets me out of the rut, you know? Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's mainly what, what it does. And then when we're actually designing it, there's all these uh, comparables that I can come out with um, that uh, that was just because of the hundreds and hundreds of games that we played, you know. Right, yeah. So what happened, so, you, you know, you were growing up, you are playing, a lot, of, playing yeah. a lot of video games. Um, did that, that continue all the way through high school? And Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we ended, I ended up getting into uh, Ultima Online a lot. Okay. Right. Um, and that was probably the and you'd be training that, playing that from Hong Kong the, by then I was I was in, in Canada okay. so I came to Canada in 97 and it was um, literally uh, so you know Hong Kong had the British rule thing yep and then it switched over in 97 oh yeah of course yeah right. I was in Hong Kong I remember in 95 and there was a big no, no I was in Tiananmen Square in 95 okay. I went to Hong Kong later but yeah. they had the big banner up with like the number the of countdown? days left, yeah, yeah, until like they got Hong Kong. And, That's yeah, right. That was <laughs> that That's was strange right. to see. Yeah. So you guys got out. So, um, well, by guys means just me. My parents would stay. Oh, really? Actually, okay. Uh, I was actually born in in Vancouver, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I moved to Hong Kong with my parents when I was about one. Uh-huh. Um, and I lived there until I was uh, sixteen. Uh, and uh, basically, it was ninety seven. The handover happened in the summer, and then a month after that, I was gone forever. 
and uh, well, I mean, I, I went back for vacation and stuff, but um, I moved because partly because of the handover, partly because how old were you? I was sixteen. Okay. Yeah, partly because of the handover, partly because there was not no no real computer education in Hong Kong at sure. the time. Yeah, and I really, mean, even though it was, I mean, the, you know, it must, there must be education roots with the British, right? But not for not, not computers for or, specifically. Like yeah. it, it just wasn't known for it. You know, yeah. it wasn't going to be very good. Sure, you know, sure, fine. Um, and then uh, my brother was already in in Vancouver at the time, okay. and I wanted to change. Basically, I wanted out. I just. The culture in Hong Kong was not the culture I, I, I felt like fit my personality. And had you spent a lot of time in Canada by, before then? Summers. Summers, you know, okay. I would, I would, so you went there and you liked it. And, yeah, it was just like, this is open, this is calm, chill. And, well, Vancouver's nice in the summer. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sure. I actually don't mind the rain either. Yeah, it's yeah. just really quite mellow the whole way through. It's, uh, it's the perfect city for me, I think. Yeah. So anyway, uh, moved to Canada. And um, were you? Did you have other family there? Uh, my uncle was there, but okay. I lived with my brother. Okay. And my bro- it was just basically me and my brother, and my brother's uh, five years older than me. Right. Okay. So he took care of me. Okay. So you started high school there, and yeah, high school thing. there. Yeah, grade eleven, grade twelve. Um, but you know, I had gone to a British system in Hong Kong, right? So uh, language wasn't a problem, right? Yeah. And uh, I loved it. It was just great. Did um yeah so we were playing video games then as well obviously Ultima Online was uh uh was that's when that started uh, Team Fortress Classic mm-hmm. played a lot of that you know that's when it was kind of switching over to more North American styled games right you know um but uh, before that I think it was more like Soul Edge I played a ton of Soul Edge. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Soul Calibur? You know Soul oh, Calibur? Oh, Soul Calibur, sure. Yeah. Soul, Cal- Soul Calibur, before Soul Calibur, was Soul Edge. Okay. That was actually number one. Okay. Yeah, so Soul, Soul Calibur is basically Soul Edge 2. And uh, that came out on the PlayStation 1. Right. Okay. Um, and then, at that point, you have to start thinking about college, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, were you thinking about... you? Were, and you were saying computers, so were you thinking then you wanted to be a programmer, basically? I, I thought I was going to be a web developer. Okay. Yeah. Um, at first, I wasn't even sure what the heck I wanted to do, like right. everybody. But uh, pretty pretty sh- soon, I was like, I think web dev is what I wanted to do. Uh, sure. Web this, design. Was, this was 99 when like, yeah. it was the first big web explosion. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I was wor- making websites in Hong Kong in 96. Mm-hmm. Um, I was making a fan, uh, like a Dragon Ball website. Um, and, uh, um, and so, you know, I had already had experience in it. And by high school, I was starting to do... A little bit of work with with uh, you know like side contract thing, right? Really, really chintzy bad websites, right? Yeah, um, and then um, I didn't. Re- I still didn't really think about doing video games until um, John Harvey is uh, was one of my roommates at the time. So basically, I lived with my brother, uh-huh. and my brother lived with four other engineers. Okay, and programmers meaning? Or yeah, well, dep- they were all like. Um, Either double E or computing uh, computer engineers. Right. Okay. Yeah, and my brother was a computer engineer. Uh, John Harvey is a computer engineer, and he was working at EA. Um, and uh, so he showed me um, basically how the sausage was made. Right. And he showed me. He, uh, I went to EA's office and I played Mario sixty four for the first time. And that blew my mind. It was kind of, I was like, oh wow, people actually make video games, right? You know, yeah. 
And uh, I think he was a co-op at that time, actually. And he was doing Reboot. Yeah, you never thought about it before then? Not really. Not it's funny. I mean, if you're thinking about programming and you love video games, right? And I, it's, I funny. it's funny. I, yeah, no. I hear this over and over again from people I talk right. to about how they get in the industry. Like, they have these two parts <laughs> right. themselves and somehow they just, you know... They just they don't put together. together put That's right. Together. Uh, but, you know, web development was cool and easy and I knew how to do it and it was just like, I, right? And it turns out it was too easy. I don't know. It was like... I don't want to say it like that. Like, not not so... Um, it was... It was um, from a programming perspective, it wasn't that interesting at that time mm-hmm. because the problems that we actually hit as a web developer in 99 was um, uh, Netscape doesn't display this thing properly and you need to add a one pixel border in order for it to do it. No, yeah. Right? And it's just like, yeah. that's not... <laughs> that's not a lot of fun. That's not programming. You know <laughs> what I mean? So yeah. that's why... Um, and uh, at the time, I was learning Python and uh, I thought, hey, maybe I can make a video game out of Python and I tried to make I was planning to make an MMO out of Python it's not anyway right. <laughs> <laughs> so because I was playing Ultima Online yeah, right? yeah. 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 it's kind of yeah. hilarious a lot of people start with an MMO as their first project for some reason and that because it's cool <laughs> yeah it's cool because the idea of it is like all these people come together and play your video game right yeah yeah, yeah. cool alright so you talked to talk to the guy at, at EA um Mm-hmm. And so you saw it was possible, right? Um, but then you were you were going to college, right? Yeah, I was I was uh, Simon Fraser. Yeah. Okay. And then um, where I was applying for co-ops, um, so I did my first co-op as a web developer. What's a co-op? Uh, it's an internship. Okay. Yeah. So I did my first internship as a uh, as a web developer, and that's kind of when I realized I didn't want it to be a web developer. It wasn't right. that awesome. And so for my second one, I applied for um, EA and Relic. Okay. And then I got both. Um, I was building my own game in my own time, so I showed it to them. I got both, and I picked Relic because they were small and nimble, and I felt like I could learn more from them. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we did. I did. I learned a ton from them. Uh, still and a great company. Would it have just been a summer thing, essentially? It was a eight-month co-op. Okay. Yeah. So it was from January to you know the fall kind of deal. Right, right through it, the summer. Is it part time, like with your studies? No, it's full time. You, you okay. just you wow. leave school for eight months to do that, and then you come back. Um, and then uh, they tried to convince me to not go back to school, right? Actually, <laughs> which I guess is pretty common. And what I told them instead was, uh, uh, I have to go back to school, but if you pay for my schooling, I'll come back for sure. <laughs> Okay. And uh, they did. So that was awesome. They paid for my schooling, for the rest of my schooling. And wow. then I went back to work at Relic for another two or three years. What was the first... So before, the, when you were doing your co-op, what were you working on? What was the, what, what were they doing at the time? I was working was on a... Homeworld or... No, was I was working before on... Before that. Um, I was working on this um, uh, third-person action game based on one of their IPs on Xbox. And then it got cancelled. Okay. So my very first experience working at a, um, a company, at a game company, was working for eight months and then getting it canceled. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome to the industry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's literally like that's that's exactly what happens all the time. And yeah. then I worked on Homeworld two for two weeks before I went back to work. Okay. What were you? Were you? You know, so you were a programmer. What type of work were you doing? Um. So for the uh, for so for the third person action game, I was working on gameplay and tools. Mm-hmm. 
Um, actually, I was working on tools first, and they're like, oh, you can code. You can actually code. We're going to do some gameplay. <laughs> right? Yeah, tools is where you put the guys where you're not 100% sure. Right, because they can't break They can't stuff. break the game, right. so they can just do other problems. But Yep. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you can code, so let's do gameplay. Um, and then uh, when it came back, I decided I wanted to do AI. Yeah. Um, and it was actually a very uh, practical... Why, why did you want to do AI? It's a very practical decision, because mm-hmm. I was looking at it, and I thought, I could do graphics, Everyone loves graphics. Yeah. I love graphics, but I will never be the best graphics person ever. Mm-hmm. There's just too many people who love graphics. Right. So I'm going to choose a specialty that less people are in. Mm-hmm. So I chose AI. And there it is. Yeah. So uh, did you did play... You, did you feel like you wanted to be a designer at this point? No, not at all. You just, you're just like excited to be a programmer. Yeah. I mean... I, you, because that's a lot of people who, kind of myself included, who go down the AI route, it's because it's so integrated with design, right? And it's sort of a path, like, whereas if you're working on graphics, you're not necessarily right, going to never do that. potentially doing design work. That's pretty interesting. You know, I never really thought of it that way. Um, by then, I kind of already felt like I wanted to do my own thing someday. Right. And I wasn't sure what that meant, but I just kind of wanted to do more stuff. From, like, almost, like... You wanted to be independent more than like you want because you wanted to design games. Like, yeah, I wanted to think? try things. Basically, I wanted to experience different things. Right. Um, and uh, uh, so, so anyway, it was it was I didn't think of it from a design perspective. I just thought of it as a practical perspective, and also uh, in my own time. Again, I, I guess it's those two pieces that don't come together. Uh, in my own time, I was still building my own game. Right. The, like an MMO thing or something new? No, something new. Okay. What and, was it? Uh, that was Eats, actually. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, and so I had I was building that game for years and years and years. Uh, and I was building that game, but I wasn't really thinking about it from like, oh, I should choose a profession at work that helps me do With, that. Right. Um, and that, that didn't really happen. Uh, but uh, I loved AI. AI is super fun. And it still is super fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're trying to play the game with the machine. Right. Yes. Um, so it's like this constant problem, this constant challenge, and I often find myself having to stop working on the AI because at some point it's just diminishing returns. Right. But theoretically, like if I enjoy a project, I could just work on it for a whole year. You know, just yep. like you can always make it better. Right. Yeah. So so what we ended up doing um, was we had in-house playtesters, and basically they would just play against my AI every day. Which which games? This, uh, game? this was Dawn of War. Dawn of War. Okay. Yeah. So I was the only AI programmer on the whole team. No. Oh, okay. Uh, rather, I was the only computer AI. They had like the low-level AI, which is like you know, tell the squad to move here, okay. right? And mine was like higher. It was the actual computer player, okay, right? And uh, and so if you played against the computer, basically you were playing against me, right. which was exactly what we were talking about. It's super cool, right? What was it like to play play yourself, so to speak? It's super. Fu- so actually, uh, oftentimes what actually happened is. Um, uh, it got to be that I was the best player on the team because that's what I was doing all day, trying to figure out how the anyway, game worked. Yeah. Right. Um, besides the testers, the testers were better than me. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they were pro- professional players. Is actually who they hired. Right. Um, but beyond that, I was the best player in the team. And when we were playing um, uh, against each other, sometimes I would just turn on the AI and then sit back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let it do it for you. Yeah. And just watch what happens. It was super cool because it was still kind of like I was still playing, right? Right. It's still me. Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, it was it was fascinating to watch once once the pieces were put together where it could do the um, 
uh, the dependency tree of what to build. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, and then you could, I could watch what it was thinking. You know, you right. could see, you know, what it's trying to Did do. Did you have a good visualizer for like looking at? It was like, just a tree view. It was okay. just text tree view, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty simple but effective. So I could yep. see exactly what I was trying to accomplish. Right. Right. Uh, fascinating. I don't know. I could do it all day. Sure. Yeah. I always found it was really hard to like. I mean, I worked on like Civ three, Civ four AI, mm-hmm. and like um, it was really hard to play the game because it's like you know when you're playing the game, you're trying to do well, right? But at the same time, if you do really well, that means your AI is doing poorly, right? And you don't want your you don't want to do your AI to do poorly. But at the same time, if your AI does does well then you're losing the game and that doesn't feel good either. So it's hilarious. <laughs> it's kind of this b- bizarre situation. Like you, you have no idea what you want to happen, but it's important that you experience it, mm. obviously, just so you can you know, improve your code. Main, mainly I was just trying to beat the, the uh, pro players yeah, downstairs. Okay. That's, a good, that's a good benchmark. I didn't yeah. really have something like that. Right. And that was super fun. Every morning they'd play my AI again and they'd you know, crush it and tell me why. But they'd send me the replays, and uh, I ended up just um, in the beginning. It was too hard. It's very hard to to um, uh, dynamically figure out a build order. Okay. Very very hard to do that uh, in efficient build order. So I would just grab their build orders and then use them and okay. just cycle them, right? Uh, and then from cycle there, them, like randomly. Yeah, like? exactly. Oh, depending on what class and what you know map or whatever, mm-hmm. right? I would choose different build orders. Okay. Uh, but basically, like, would, you, just, would you watch? You know, you'd watch ten or whatever, and you'd like hard code ten of them. Essentially, yeah, that's that right. I would literally hard code their their build orders. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because you know what the um, the the AI isn't there to be ultra competitive. It's not right. right. It's there to. It'll never them. ultimately beat the top players. Correct. Ever. So uh, what what actually um, I would try to get it as good as I could, and then I would pull back from there. Sure. So w- one thing that we did was on normal mode. Um, it knew um, what your uh, army cost and what my army costs as an AI. And if my army was up to 80% of your army, I would actually stop building stuff. Sure. I'd just stop. Yeah. Because what the goal was is to have a close game that I lose. Yeah. That's the goal. Right. Yeah, I often say that. You know, I remember the AI is playing to lose, right? Right, that's You're, right. Yeah, like you know, oftentimes you know people talk about issues the the civ AI had and like not being able to quite finish the space race or quite you know get the cultural victory or whatever. And yep. I was like, I you know, I could do that. Is that going to make the game more enjoyable for people? Like, I don't really know. <laughs> like, I put a that's lot right. of effort into that. Those are you know the early moves, so the people the, you know the people get that kind of like fear. But you know, I mean. You know, you're not trying to you know beat down the player. Um, well, I mean, the later ones I was trying to. So hard and insane was like really trying to beat up the player. But uh, you know, most people weren't playing them anyway. They're just playing normal. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. So when you would when you write the AI, I mean, were there specific? Te- could you describe? Your, I mean, were you, is it, were you just coding in C plus plus? Were there it was all in Lua. techniques? It was all in Lua. Okay. Yeah, I, I wrote the whole thing in Lua. Um, and uh, I was using this thing called Lua Bind, which is like this boost library for, mm-hmm. for binding Lua. And uh, it was the worst thing, actually. I, <laughs> I, I'm really, really sorry if other programmers are hearing it from Relic. I'm really sorry because what actually happened was uh, they were using Credibuild 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was oh, like, that adds so much to the well. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I think so, I know where you're going. <laughs> so everything was in parallel. They were building yep. all the yep. except my file. Yep. That just kept on going and going and going, and I would change it like three times a day. So every person was building my thing and just kept going and going and going because it was just template hell. Yeah. We had the exact same thing with um, Civ 4, but it was Python, but then we had our own, you know... Binding library, yeah, yep. exactly. And so, yeah, everything went nicely in parallel, and then suddenly it was just that... That binding <laughs> system, yeah, it just kept going. Yeah, we had, like, a long, hard thoughts during the process of, like, is this whole thing worthwhile or not? You know, it's hard It's hard to measure, right? And I ended up, um, so far, my, the next project, not a Relic, uh, my own project, I ended up writing my own template library for Binding Lua so that it wouldn't do that. Hmm. It was just lighter weight, so that it wouldn't um, it wouldn't take forever to build. Yeah. So why do you like to work in Lua as opposed to just in C plus plus? I could just literally refresh. Yep. And it would just run again. You know, I could uh, reset the sim just like that. Uh, and uh, the other thing was I um, I never blocked anybody because when it crashed, it would tell me. Right. Uh, but it would just throw an error. Yeah, it wouldn't crash the whole game. It wouldn't crash the whole game. So, literally, I had no crash bugs the whole project. Right. Wait, one. I had one. Actually, I remember very clearly because I had no idea what was going on. It was, I was trying to sort a vector poorly. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, was, it, was very, uh, it was very, very stable because of that. Right. Yeah. And it was just rapid, rapid iteration. Yeah. Did you, did you have some sort of AI philosophy in terms of, like various techniques like some people have certain ai styles and other people i'm I'm more of an ad hoc guy um i was actually doing research at the time on how to do better ai so i was working with um uh uh, university of alberta trying to come up with new ai styles but uh practically we're shipping in a year right so it's like no i'm not going to write a neural network right now it's just not going to happen nor am i going to do a huge planning system yeah i'm just going to do finite state machines basically yeah 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 i like to say that for your ai like if your ai is performing great but you don't know why it's performing great you're in much worse shape than if your ai is performing poorly but you know why it's performing poorly that's right right like because if you don't know why it's doing well something could change and easily Everything stop, goes to yeah, yeah that's right. Stop performing well, and then you're you're screwed. Yeah, so it was very simple actually. It wasn't it wasn't that complex. I also uh, uh, documented it for for modders, so people could write their own AIs. Yeah, yeah. I was curious how that went because when you talk about things like hard coded hard coded build orders, like that's not going to fly once people start you know ripping stuff out, and adding new stuff to the game. Yeah, that's but right. But I guess you just, the mo- the modders would be responsible for writing new AI as well. Is that essentially the idea? Yeah, that was the idea. The idea was also that we would update it as we went along, you know. Uh, and also, once again, it's not trying to be the best. Yeah. So as long as that unit still exists, you're kind of fine. Right. You know? So I thought I thought it was, it was, um, it was challenging for people and it was a great learning tool. And that's exactly what it needed to be. Right. Yeah. Well, that's one of the nice things of like if you use a if you use a competitive build order, pay, people can learn from that. Yeah. Right? Exactly. You know, they just get a sense of well, maybe I should try this way. Yeah. Um, and they can see the replay and then figure it out themselves, which is basically what I did. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Would, uh, so was that? Did you move on from Relic after that game, or what happened? I worked next? on I worked on the outfit for about nine months, okay. and then um, I, don't, I don't know much about that game. 
Yeah, uh, it was a launch title, launch window title for uh, 360, for the 360. Yeah. And uh, it was probably the most difficult project that Relic has ever worked on. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, there was a lot of troubles with it. Uh, because they were trying to build a third-person action game from a, 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 a RTS engine. Yeah, sure. So it was incredibly difficult, right? Um, and then uh, I, I was actually going to move to uh, Ubisoft Shanghai. Okay. Uh, I had applied there, got the job, um, and decided that... Uh, to do work, to work on what? Splinter Cell. Okay. To work on Splinter Cell 4. Splinter Cell 4, right, okay. Um, for a variety of reasons. The main reason was that uh, it didn't seem like the outfit was... Uh, this, the outfit still needed me to be there, so I decided I would stay to finish it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but then eventually it got extended again. It, mm-hmm. got, it got delayed some more. And at that time, I was like, no, I can't I can't really stay for another nine months. So right. yeah. I'm just going to leave now. And you have enough time now to, to do it without me. Uh, yeah, so that's when I left, and uh, and then I started, uh, and then I polished up Eats, you know, started the company from that. Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty. There was nothing to lose, you know. Okay, well you're you're a little nonchalant about. I left the company and started a new one, and it was no big deal. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it wasn't a big deal in the sense that it wasn't like I'm betting everything on this. Right. You know, I'm betting the little that I have on this, I it guess. It was just you, I assume, right? No, it was uh, me and um, uh, Alex. Uh, he's a programmer at, at Clay. And uh, also one other uh, co-founder who ended up leaving uh, early mm-hmm. on. Right. And I, and I ended up buying him out. Uh, he was supposed to be the business guy, okay. basically. Sure. Um, yeah. I ended you, up, guys, you guys were all at Relic? No, no only me. Okay. Only I was at Relic. In fact, I had the most experience out of everybody and had like two and a half years. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, uh, Alex had a co-op at EA before that, and uh, Steve was just out of school. It was wow. just kids in a, in a bedroom. Like, oh, literally that's and this is, this is It may be hard to put people in the right context for this, but you know, a few guys starting an indie studio is not really much of a big deal now. Right. But this was, what, 2000. Five. Five? 2005. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was no... There was no pipeline for this at all. There was then. no Steam. Steam did not exist. Yeah. Um, there was no Xbox Live Arcade. That didn't exist. In fact, there was just no digital distribution at all. What did you guys think you were going to do? Like, how are you going to make money? We thought we might get a publisher deal and then, you know, put a, put our game on the 3DS... Uh, the 3DS. The, uh, the, uh, the DS at the time. Okay. We thought that we might put it on, you know, um, the uh, PSP... Uh, and you know, take some work for hire and just start kind of grinding it out. That's what right. we thought we were going to do. Yeah. And then what actually ended up happening is nobody gave us any work and didn't want our games. Right. Yeah. And then we ended up putting it on uh, like big fish games and. Right. Well, let's let's back up to where each yeah. started with. So this is something you worked you started up while you're at while you're at Relic. Right. Did they know that? Yeah. Okay. They knew this. They had a they had a good policy. Where you could work on your own thing at your own time, right? Now, Eats is kind of like a—I played it a little bit. It's kind of like a puzzle game, essentially, yeah. right? It's Incredible Machine meets Lemmings, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so, what? Why did you decide that was the game you wanted to make back then? Because that was the game we could make. 
Okay, that's well, a good uh, answer. So, um, what happened was uh, we were still trying to do the MMO, and you know, of course, I was like, "This isn't going to work out." After yeah. a little, after a little bit of typing, it's like, "Whoa, what am I getting myself into?" Let's let's try something else. Um, and uh, uh, Nick Wanders, I don't know if you know Nick, uh, but he's a programmer at Relic. He he showed me this uh, Relay integration uh, demo that he wrote, and he got that from. A GDC talk from um, his name escapes me. Something Jacobson. Okay. And uh, it was basically a physics Verily integration. Very very simple. Very very fast. Uh, and so basically, I just rewrote his demo. Okay. Because I was like, that sounds really fun. So I, I tried that myself, and I wrote it. And then uh, and then I showed this to uh, some of my friends. And I'm like, let's make a game out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't figure out what to do with it. Uh, and eventually, we're just kind of like stumbling around into a physics game. Uh, I was writing notes about uh, like a water simulator or whatever, and eventually ended up being uh, rigid physics type stuff. Um, but when we did the rigid physics, all I could do was 2D art. I, could, I did, had no 3D skills. Yep. Um, and, uh, but uh, I mean, that might have been a good, a good constraint for you at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it was. But it only could do, um, you know, particle hits, right? Yeah, it was just okay. particles. Uh, so then I had to figure out how am I going to do pixel perfect physics? Mm-hmm. Because uh, it wasn't interesting without that. Yeah. Um, and uh, flip code was around back then. Do you remember flip code? Mm-mm. So there's a forum for game developers back then of uh, just talking about uh, problems that they have and you know um tutorials and things so i posted on there trying to do pixel perfect physics and reagan helped me out this guy um he helped me figure out how i would do the the calculations uh he ended up he uh, making n and n plus oh okay yeah Mm-hmm. And eventually, that we seems, helped him make N+. That seems like a pixel-perfect type game. It so. is, exactly. <laughs> uh, and it was, it's actually a, a pretty neat system uh, in the end. Uh, it actually took some some calculus and things to, to approximate the... So I was like, hey, I'm actually using my schooling. You right, know? right, right. That's kind of how it felt. Um, so anyway, long story short, basically it was, I can make this game, so let's make this game. Right. Was there art? Yeah, it was all done by programmers. Okay. So, was it good art? Uh, you can judge for yourself, I suppose. <laughs> you can look it up on, the, online. So the art that came, but the final art that came out was art that you guys produced, basically? yeah, by by programmers. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's not okay. I mean, I I don't remember it being bad. So, um, like, not like. Right. But I usually think of for programmer art. So no, it was um, you know a lot of us were hobby. And there was a lot of friends working on it as well. Uh, so while I was working at Relic, I had tons of friends pitching in because yeah. we all just wanted to learn right uh and eventually what it was was it used a maya pipeline uh so it was 3d in the end except that i rendered it out to 2d okay so i did a cell shade render of that and um that's how we did all the art okay yeah um so it's a level-based game right mm-hmm. um you know it's a series of levels did you um did you like making puzzle levels like was that something that yeah it was super fun yeah uh, it didn't work at lo- for a long time. I mean, that's kind of when it was like, wow, design's hard. Mm-hmm. It was really ugly and not good. Um, what went wrong, usually? So, uh, And how could you tell something was going wrong? Like, just from your own feelings, or were you like... I was playtesting it with people. Putting it in front of people. Yeah, I was putting it in front of people, and you would get the, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of feedback, right? Um, 
and uh, what ended up happening was that the characters were too big on screen, and so I didn't have enough space on screen to do any interesting mechanics. Right. So when we shrunk everybody and then created a lot more little mechanics, then you could start to get actual Rube Goldberg physics going on. And that's when it, it turned a corner. And then eventually when I showed it to people, they were like, wow, you should sell this because it's actually kind of cool. Right. Yeah. Were there games being sold like that back then? I just don't know. I, didn't, I really wasn't familiar with the casual no, industry. No, that. no. In fact, I mean, it was a total mismatch because it looks like a cute game, but it's right. a physics game and yeah. it wasn't it was an kind easy of, physics kind game. Of tough. Yeah, it was actually kind of tough. So, uh, you know, people who would find, find it would like it, but that's kind of the, the case of lots of games. You know, people would say, oh, you know, people who love it, love it. You know, and you're like, well, yeah, that's a tautology. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I found its audience, I guess, and we made some money. We made enough. The, the, the history of Clay is we made enough to survive until we figured it out, I would say. Sure. Well, so how did you eventually, so how did you sell Eats? Like, what happened? We sold it. We got some government funding, which was okay. a, a, uh, an amazing thing for us. Um, it allowed us to, to eat. Right. How does that, how does that work? We, we, I mean... I keep hearing about that from Canadians, but like I don't have any, you know, experience with it. So, so you you apply for this this funding thing, and basically how it works is you have to put in a half, and they'll put in a half. Okay. okay. How do they know you're putting in half? So it's in the contract that you would do that. Right. Um, but you're sort of paying yourself. Right? right. And so the crazy thing is, I had no money, none. <laughs> right. So there was no putting in a half. There's no money there. Right. But they want. This is money they need to spend. Yeah. Right? Like, they have this money to they give to... They need to find people to, to give, give to, to people, yeah. right? And they're not trying to make a profit out of it. This is yeah. supposed to be for art, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so they would work with me on figuring out how to do it. And what it was is I would defer my salaries. Okay. And and I would say, I'm not getting paid this amount. I'm worth X amount. Right. But, and I'm but not getting amount. paid this amount. Right. So let's say, let's make up some fun numbers. I don't know. Let's say I was $50,000 and I'm not going to get paid $30,000. Right. And that uh, was considered your share. That was considered my share. So they would put in $30,000 and then I could take home $20,000 yeah. and then $10,000 was left to do whatever I wanted in the company. Right. Wow. Well, so you have to you have to be creative with accounting, I guess, basically, and like get get to something that they're happy with. Yeah. Well, I mean, you work with them to do it. Yeah. So it's not like we're we're, you know hiding behind some shadows or sure. something. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they they're that's how the whole system works. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Uh and the hilarious thing is I remember uh when we actually were selling the game, um, you know, we give them uh basically a rev share back. And when I brought the check over to their office, they were like, Wait, you're giving us money? <laughs> this never happens. This never happens. <laughs> Nobody ever gives us money. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so they, you got some money from them, um, but then you found, was it Big Fish? Is that where you were able to sell it, or was there something else? It was everything. You, everything. You, we were just trying to sell it everywhere. Uh, at the time, um, Steam was actually just starting out, and they were trying to find their footing. Okay. They were trying to figure out what to do, uh, and their their first contract was actually um, horrendous. It was, it was you know, trying to get exclusive deals. It was, yeah. you know, it was really um, um, not friendly. Yeah. Uh, and then they turned around and... It gave us a really friendly deal way later. By the time we turned them down, so we couldn't do Steam. Uh, we started talking to Microsoft about Xbox, so we would have to do another another game altogether. 
Meanwhile, for for eats, we put it on PopCap. We did. Mm. Um, we put it on Big Fish. We put it on our own website, um, and then we used, you know, some payment system. I don't remember what payment system we used. Right. And this was back then when basically people would just download games from these casual portals. Correct. And yeah. like maybe one percent of them would like unlock the whole game for twenty bucks or yeah, something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a model which lasted for a while and then eventually kind of disappeared. So back then, I remember very clearly, I would come to GDC and I, I would go to Casual Connect at GDC. And uh, at the time, it, it felt really familiar, like deja vu these days. People would say, the casual games industry is going to crush the AAA industry. It's going to go away. <laughs> right. right. You guys are screwed. Yep. Yeah. You, you don't understand the soccer moms is where it's at. Right. And it just feels really deja vu-ish these yeah, days, you know? Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think we're maybe coming out of that now, starting right. to understand, like, that different audiences just need different games. Correct, and, yeah. Like, exactly. That's the end of it. Um, and, and there is no crushing. There, we are going to harmoniously <laughs> work together. It's going to be fine. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, we sold a bit. I think I sold a few thousand bucks on my own site, you know? Mm-hmm, sure. And then a Steam eventually came out as well. How would you try to spread word about the game? I mean, like, was marketing an issue or...? A huge uh, problem, even back then. Um, maybe worse back then. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, like, did you try to solve it, or was it just like... It's weird stuff. So, um, we advertised on Penny Arcade, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, I mean, that's not weird. It was just like how... It was kind of um, over my head that we would do something like that, because, you know, we're just starting out and things. Um, that actually didn't work out for us at the time. You know, our game just wasn't a game that sells. Yeah. Um, well. It just isn't. Yeah, you can't yeah. advertise it and make money. Yeah. It's, even today, it's super hard to do that. Right? Right. Uh, do you mean in general? In or? general, it's hard to advertise a game and make a profit by right. spending ads, spending yeah. money on ads. Yeah, the video you guys talked about that yesterday, they said they spent 20000 for a giant banner on RPS, and they feel like it just was a complete waste. It's just a fizzle, Yeah. right? It's it's brand development rather than actual conversions, right? You know, is is where where it would be, and uh, uh, websites would cover us. So like Gamezebo and Jay's Games. Jay's Games was huge for yep. us mm-hmm. uh, back then, and uh, and just random stuff. So sometimes we would just get a pop, um, but you know we just needed enough to live. Yeah, which was not very much. You know, uh, my rent at that time was like six hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Yeah. So just so whatever, you and were, then you were noodle eating and indies, and you were getting by. Yep, literally. And uh, my wife uh, at that time, um, uh, fiance, she, she supported us as yeah. well. You know, she would she would buy food. Right. She had a job, <laughs> and I did not. <laughs> that was nice, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, how many were there? Was it still two or three of you? Or at that time, so um, Steve had left in the in the summer of two thousand five. Um, and I bought him out. I had to borrow money from my brother to buy mm-hmm. him out. Um, and then I was out of my pocket paying Alex's um, uh, living expenses because he had no savings and I had some savings. Right. So I just paid him. And then um, one of my high school friends ended up joining on. He was working for free until we got government funding. And then we all got paid like this, right. I don't know, stipend. Right. Okay. And what happened after Eats then? Eats Chowdown. Obviously, Xbox Live Arcade version. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Um, and then we got government money for that one. Right. Did oh, actually, you did... know what saved us? Okay. I forgot. I forgot about this part. Is uh, Warren Carell was our, our agent at the time. And he got us a uh, you retail. Had, you had an agent? I had an agent. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. Funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it worked out. But, uh... It did. He uh, got us a uh, retail deal. Mm-hmm. I assume uh, he was working on commission or whatever. Yeah, he was working on commission. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, he was working on commission. Uh, he was very sad when he saw our sales numbers. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, he got us a retail deal uh, in Germany and France territories. Okay, uh, and uh, we got, I think, like eighty thousand euros or something. It was huh. A lot of money. It's not bad. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of money we up front, like, basically. Yeah, yeah. It was okay. a guarantee. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a minimum it was guarantee. Off and go, yeah. Right. And then they sent us the. Um, I knew. I was like, man, just take the money. There's yeah. no way we're they're ever going to sell that. <laughs> right. Take the take the freaking money. <laughs> and um, they they a few months later they sent the uh, you know report of how many is sold and I think it was in like the two digit maybe oh, three. <laughs> so it's just oh my god. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Our future games did much, much better for publishers than that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So did you did you get a contract with Microsoft for the Levercade thing, or was that... Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, basically it was just a... They didn't pay any money. It was just a... Um, you're allowed... You're now a developer. Okay. Was there yeah. someone at Microsoft who played the game and came after you guys, or did you guys just pursue them? We pitched them, it. Or? We okay. pitched it, yeah. And we had like a... Um, and this was, was this before the launch? This was before the launch, yeah. Okay. So it was already signed by the time the original Eats yeah. came out. So at that point, they had no idea what Live Arcade was going to become, per se. Yeah, it was like really, really, really early on. It was like with with Eric... Um... Oh, I forget his last name. I'm so sorry. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I see his face. Uh, but yeah, it was like the very, very early, early days. It was super fun. Right, right. Like, We're going to be a console developer. right. Was that a was that a tough pitch or like how did it go? Well, I mean, they weren't putting any money, so it was just oh, okay. It was just access. It was just access, exactly. Yeah. And so we just had to do it, and we um, so we did. Yeah, it was it was it was fine, and we made actually. It still makes money today. I think we make like <laughs> really. Yeah, it's still there. All our games still make money. The original Eat still makes money today. Really? So, from who? From, from from Steam. Oh, Steam. Yeah, I guess it's on Steam. We're still selling it on Steam. Wow, that's awesome. So Eat Eat <laughs> Showdown. Uh, we make more money on each Chowdown, but they, they still sell those um, a- avatar icons. Uh-huh. It's just an icon. Yeah. It's not the actual avatars anymore, right? Okay. But uh, back then, it was just, you could buy icons. Uh-huh. Right? What we, would you do with them? No, you can just put it as your, you know, you know oh, your Xbox on your Live, avatar. Yeah, 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 yeah Xbox okay. Live okay. Um, account. You yep. can put the little picture there. Okay. You can actually buy picture packs. Yeah. It was picture packs, that's yeah. what they're called. You can buy picture packs there. We make more money on that today than the game. Okay, the picture pack for for eats, eats it still sells today. <laughs> People still buy picture packs today. Wow, it's like okay. <laughs> and I think I think we make about a hundred bucks a month. All right, well you know, you know, beer night or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's it's not so bad, right? <laughs> it's kind of fun. I, I like saying that every game we've ever released, we still earn royalties today. From yeah, we still today earn sure. royalties. Well, that's one of the nice feelings of like you know really putting this as a long long-term time with a company is yeah. it, that's some nice stability yeah well stability with a hundred bucks a month maybe not but <laughs> well as they all fun. end up but yeah uh, yeah yeah 
Um, wow. Okay. Cool. So you did the you did the console version. Was that tricky to make in any way, or like it was? It's yeah. pretty straight. I mean, I had worked on a console for the outfit. Yeah. The outfit was on Xbox 360, right? Uh, and uh, it was way more power than we needed, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but at this time is kind of when we were starting to learn how to make a video game from a design perspective, market perspective. Like these were times when we could fail and nobody would notice, right? Which is really nice. So one of the things I really like is that we took ten years to do this because I got to do all these crazy things that are massive mistakes, but nobody nobody like, knows. Like what, for example? Just like Eats itself, which is a cute game <laughs> with a hardcore yeah, hard, yeah. right. Um, and then the design perspective was just like, I'm just going to cobble stuff together as opposed to thinking about it from a principal perspective of what kind of experience do I actually want players to have, you know? Right. And we built so many levels that nobody ever played. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, yeah. We shipped each showdown with 123 levels. Oh my gosh. Wow. Did you ever get metric? Did you actually, did no. you actually measure that? It's well, just... what I do know is we also shipped DLC for it. Uh-huh. And it never sold, yeah. which makes complete sense because nobody ever got through the first yeah, batch. Sure. Why would they buy the second one, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, things like that. It was just like, oh, what works, what doesn't? And we were able to just kind of try different things. And also, uh, we were younger and we were able to survive things like the 110 square foot office for four people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So was, was Shank next? Is that what happened, or is there something between there? There was two years where we were working with Nexon. Okay. Oh, yeah, Sugar Rush. Sugar Rush. Game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are working... That's when I started working with Jeff Agala, who's our creative director. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, I don't know, it was, it was two years of building a free-to-play game. So how did you? How did that start? Because that's a pretty big change for you guys, obviously. So Alex Garden, who... Uh-huh. So oh, right. relic. He, went, there. he yeah. went to uh, Nexon. Nexon. Yeah, and he was looking for games to be made. Yeah. So he was starting up in in Vancouver, uh, and he's like, "Jamie, I, I know that you started a company. Do you want to make a game with us?" Uh, and I said, "Yeah, I definitely do." Uh, so he's he t- he asked me to give a pitch. I give him a pitch. He rejected the pitch. It wasn't a very good pitch. What was the pitch? Uh, it was it was it was Sugar Rush, but like with my art. Right. Like it was okay. not, it was not good, right? Um, and then, uh, so I asked Jeff if he wanted to uh, team up to make that game. Yeah, and he was really interested. So we did a pitch together, and you know, I kind of directed the pitch, and he did all the art for it, and we kind of put it all together. Um, and then we presented that, and he's like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it." And at, at the time, Sugar Rush was actually Eats Sugar Rush. It was actually based on the Eats IP. Mm. Uh, and uh, we got a contract we moved into their office and we worked there and just kind of like evolved over time into this brawler the brawler that we have today um, it was different originally? It, well we just weren't entirely sure what it was going to be like it was more puzzly in the beginning mm-hmm. okay you know because it felt like an extension of Eats I yeah guess. exactly and then eventually it became more, more and more Smash Brothers like you know more and more um, with Smash Brothers versus um, Power Stone. Did you play Power Stone Mm-mm. on uh, Dreamcast? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's kind of like Power Stone, right? And, and this was a browser game. Uh, right? This was a no, no. It's ne- oh, Nexon. So it's a PC downloaded right, online right, right. game. He's, that's right. That was back in the Maple Story days. And right. Kart Rider and so much. Yeah, they were yeah, that's downloads. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. So it was that, uh, and it was actually super fun, uh, and we retained people reasonably well. 
Mm-hmm. We, we had poor long-term retention, very good short-term retention, so we needed to fix the long-term retention. Um, and we were about... Uh, we had done a closed beta, two closed betas already. Right. Um, and we're about two weeks away from launching open beta. Mm-hmm. And then they shut down the whole studio. The whole studio. The whole studio shut down. So, so you were collateral damage, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically. But it worked out great for us. <laughs> okay. All right. It Good. worked out great. So, uh, I mean, at the time, it was it was intense. Crushing, I think. Cr- yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we had saved up a whole bunch of money by then because they were paying us every month and I was just kind of funneling it into the bank. <laughs> right. Sure. Just like it's a good idea. Putting it away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also about um, a year and a half in, we're, we were thinking we need to figure out what the next game is because if this doesn't work, we're going to be screwed. Right. So we started thinking of different prototypes and we had built a tennis game and then we also built Shank. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still have the prototype that Jeff and I made in Flash. I made a, a quick prototype for uh, gun juggling, you know. Yeah. Um, and then when they when they shut down, basically we had sublet in their office, and a hundred people around us all got laid off. And then it was yeah. just it was just like the the ten of us <laughs> was, left. <laughs> was left, and everyone else had the boxes uh, and they, it was post apocalyptic movie or something. So awkward, <laughs> so awkward. Um, and then, do you think Sugar Rush could have worked? I still have people in the office today asking if we would revive it, and the answer is definitely no. I don't want to revive it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because uh, it was built on, you know, it's just like duct taped together. It was right. not a very solid code base, I think. Um, and also from a design perspective, I learned a lot since then. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think that it could have been successful, but I don't think it's a great game. That's my feeling. Okay. I mean, would you make a game like that, but differently now? Or are you just no longer interested in that type of a game? I don't think that I'm interested in that kind of game now. Um, I mean, it was just a... It was like a Mario Kart-ish. It it was Mario Kart feeling. Right. So it was very much, um, you know, anybody could come back and... Right. Like, as Kart Rider was to Mario Kart, you guys were to Smash Brothers? To Smash Brothers, yeah. Yeah, Basically. Yeah. Which, you know, I just don't find that interesting now. Well, there already is Smash Brothers. Exactly. It already exists. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and they will make a much better game than I do for Smash Brothers right. specifically. Yeah. Right. Well, it's important lesson about being a it's smaller company, right? You have to you have to do something no one else is doing. Right. That's right. Yeah. Like your game. Yeah. That's right. Definitely Nobody not. else is doing that game. <laughs> no one else. Is. Although it feels to me like Aerobiz multiplayer, so I should play it. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, when you when you mentioned that game, I'm like, wow, that sounds like it sounds like a bunch of games that like. You know, I wonder. Like, I'm thinking of like like Railroad Tycoon and like Sid's games or whatever, but it yes. must have predated that. You yeah, know? And, like, yeah, it did. That's really interesting. I love I love finding out about these bizarre hidden games from the past that like some people remember, most people don't, and like you know, it, they they it looks like maybe they influenced things later, but maybe it was just stuff got invented on their own independently. Yeah, right? you know, I think like, so. Yeah, like that's calculus right. like got invented in two places at the right. same time, and like I think that happened a lot in the games industry. Some ideas are just kind of naturals, you know, so. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people are fond of Aerobiz, actually. It's pretty, it's pretty cult, culty, you know. Was it in America? Yeah, yeah, it was all in English. 
Okay. Oh, it was in English. Okay. Yeah, that game was in English. Otherwise, I couldn't play that game. Like, it's all yeah. numbers and text. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Um, okay. So then you were um, you were trying to decide between the different games, and you guys decided to push Shank, basically. Yep. That's right. Um, and that was a deal with EA? Or you, you pitched it to a bunch of companies? So we spent... Um, January was when everything went down. Right. Uh, and uh, we were we had 10,000 square feet for 10 of us. It was hilarious. So we had 1,000 <laughs> <laughs> square feet per person. <laughs> um, and uh, um, we had uh, three months to build a prototype before we went to GDC to pitch it to everybody. Okay. Yeah. And we pitched it to a whole bunch of people. Um, what year would this have been? This was in 2009. Okay. That's not that long ago. No, I guess not. No. Um, and we had a bunch of money saved up, but not close, not enough to finish the game. Yeah. And it was pretty clear that it wasn't enough to finish the game. Yeah. So I started pitching it to two people, um, and we got some interest... Um, and uh, at the time, by that time, I wasn't working with Warren anymore, so I didn't have an agent. It was just me. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, we started getting uh, publisher interest, but uh, you know, the publisher who was most interested was really dragging their heels, and it felt like uh, I, I, I mean, it felt like they were they were doing it because they knew we were going to run out of money. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. I, I, I think so. And I think that makes sense. They, I mean, don't rather, have, they don't have any pressure. And they I, know that the other side does. So. Exactly. So it might not even be malicious, right? It's just yeah. simply that, well, I don't need to do anything right now. Yeah. And yeah. the more I wait, they know that it's just going to get better. Yeah. So I'll just work on something else for now and I'll deal with it later. Yeah. Basically. Right. So we then um, hired another agent. So we hired Ophir to help us with that deal. Um, and it still took a long time. To, to to do it, we finally, um, uh, when we were actually able to get the deal, was when we uh, showed the game self funded at PAX in two thousand and nine. Because then at that time there weren't a lot of indies yet, and so when people saw that game, they're like, "Wow, this is something." But there was live arcade that succeeded at that point, right? Correct, like, correct. But so, it was just like this game looks totally different than every yeah. other game out there. Yeah. And so we got a ton of press. It was it was there was a ton of interest on the game. Right. Uh, and that's what. So, how were you us. showing? Did you just have a booth on the floor where you showed yeah. it to whoever came by? And yeah, we just had a booth on the floor. Oh, actually, no. Not only that, we we got a hotel room, and I, I believe we were one of the first to to do this. We we actually just rented a hotel room and invited all the press to have a private showing in the hotel room. Okay. And we sent. Did uh, you have a PR person who handled that for you? Um, uh, Carolyn Kearns was our PR. Okay. Uh, uh, she did it uh, on the real cheap. I mean, that was. Uh, it was a big favor, basically. Right. And uh, she um, she put out these ransom letters to the <laughs> press. She put together these ransom letters. She got paper, and she kind um, of made it all brown, but uh, like poured coffee on it to make it all like yeah. crumpled and brown. And then she cut out individually, letters you mean? individually to wow. each freaking press. It was ridiculous. And then she stuck letter. She cut out newspaper uh-huh. letters and stuck it all together. Uh, and then she bought um, uh, uh, Bratz dolls and cut their hair and stuck it on with a with a bit of tomato juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got a lot of people coming to our hotel room with the ransom letter, uh, and we showed it. We showed it there, um, and uh, wow. it was it was just a it was just a big hit. 
It was yeah. a real, real high. Well, the thing I remember about Shank is it had such a distinct visual style, right? Like for sure, like that. How did that? How did that happen? Well, Jeff is a genius. Yeah, Jeff is amazing, and he still is. Like all our games have this really distinct style. After eats because you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Although hilariously, some people are like, "Oh, I can see the similarity from eats." <laughs> it all started and, there. And, um, maybe you don't. Maybe you see something you don't see. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it was it was it, it really brought us, and then the the um, the programming also, the, you know, the bloom and everything. It just all kind of came together. Yeah, uh, and it it got us a, a deal with EA, but it took. A very long. We didn't actually sign the deal until uh, January. Wow. So you wanted to get a deal back GDC, March or whatever. That's right. Nine months later, ten months later. Ten months later, we signed it, but we still didn't get money. <laughs> so uh, the funny thing is, get this: EA had no money to pay us until the end of the year. They did not Literally have really no money. That's what. That's the, what they told you. That's what they told. They needed to wait until the fiscal year. <laughs> Yeah. To pay us, fiscal year is something you hear a lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> you deal with publishers, right? Absolutely, yeah. uh, and so that was my first experience with fiscal year. Yeah, really. Uh, I was like, what? What do you mean you have no money to pay us? Uh, and what ended up happening in that development is that everything got crunched to the end because of that, because we had no money, mm-hmm. so we couldn't hire the right people. We we left all the cutscenes to the end, and then not only that, they had uh, EA needed to ship the next quarter. Right. Oh, jeez. So I got the money, and then within one quarter, and, and you it, knew it was all. Done. The, did you basically know all this when you signed the contract? Yeah, but that was the only contract I could get. Yeah, that was the only money that was that was available. Yep. So we took it. Yeah, uh, it was a very good deal from a financial standpoint. You know, right. we we got money. We got to keep the IP. Yeah, the terms were good. The royalty rates are great. You know, mm-hmm. everything was good except that there was three months to finish the game, basically, yeah. and that's why the game's not very good. Yeah, it's not a very good game, in my opinion. What could it have been a very good game? I think so. Yeah. If you had the time, I believe so. Yeah, I believe it could have been, um, uh, you know, exponentially better given another two months. And the stupid thing about that is that we finished the game, and we didn't ship it for another three months, four months. Even then. And the reason we had to ship, we had to final it first, was to hit the quarter. They needed to Just say to that the they box, finished basically? it. Yes. And you couldn't keep working on it after that? No. Because? Because it was already cert. It, was already oh, certified. it had to be, it, it had to be it certified. It had to be insert, but they weren't going to put it on Live Arcade for another, another three, three months. or four months. Yeah. That's really bizarre. I don't even... <laughs> That's what it was. I mean, could I have pushed back? You know, possibly. Um, I don't know what would have happened. Right. Would I not have gotten my money? Maybe I don't know. Right? It just doesn't. Is that I because no Microsoft idea. wanted it insert that earlier? No, it was because EA that. needed it in that fiscal quarter. That's what. I'm but saying. it wasn't going to be released until. Correct. They just needed it <laughs> to say that it was say done. That they had something. Yeah, done. they needed to say that it was done at that time. Well, yeah. But you know, these are things that. This is what you do yeah. when you're a small indie and you deal with a giant publisher. That's you know. Right, and I don't even fault them for it. You know, it's just like these things end up happening based on machinations behind yeah. the scenes that I'm not fully aware of. Right. And that's kind of okay. I need to, as a business owner, navigate that. Yeah. That's that's just that's my job, to yeah. navigate it. I mean, they probably have a high-level mandate to, like, okay, we need to get some live arcade stuff. Mm-hmm. This is a new thing, and we're right. going to make that happen. But they're not focusing 
they're not being closely very focusing very closely on the actual product itself, right? Yeah, pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. So, so what what would have needed to have changed to make Shank a great game? Like, you like could, were the me- mechanics solid? You just didn't have enough time to work on it, or something uh, fundamental. If you play the game today, it's basically my first pass balance check. Right. Literally first pass. Like I was able to play through the game like once. You know, and then the game was done. It was shipped, yeah. uh, and so it's very uneven. The difficulty is uneven. Yeah, um, and beyond that, uh, the 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 tools that you start with, you can beat the whole game with those tools at mm. the end. Yeah. Okay. Also, I do a poor job in teaching you how to use new tools that you get. So a lot of people actually hit a wall. You can just press X and beat the first three levels. Right. And then you cannot beat the fourth level by pressing X. Right. So I'm not teaching you that you actually need to learn these new tools before sure. you get there. Right. And that's just polish. That's just time needed to play test and see that people are doing this and then figure out what you need to do to, to get to the next step. Right. right. So, you know, it's just things like that. You know, bosses are, are unfair or whatever. Um, and it's it's more like, why do people feel like it's unfair and how do I you know, approach it so that people don't feel that way? Right. And you can see all this in Mark and the Ninja in that people don't think it's a great game because it doesn't feel unfair. And right. that's basically polish, you know? Right, right. Hmm. So did... Uh, but then there was a Shank 2, right? Which we did in one year. And was that, is, was that what you started immediately after that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We did that uh, about two months later. Uh, we started it two months later. Shank 2... Uh, we did it in, um, and Shang Two is actually a much better game than Shang One. It is actually way better. Sure. Well, it's not surprising. I mean, you, I mean, you know, you get another, you get a chance if you feel it's unfinished. Obviously, you right. Know, that's right. That's you can improve. Um, so, what happened with that? I mean, like you, uh, there was another EA game, I assume. It was EA. And that's right. I mean, Shang One was actually financially successful for everybody. Okay. You know, um, and uh, you know, we still earn royalties on it today as I say, <laughs> right? But that one, you know, earned out and made everybody money. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, it, it was a success. Right. Right. So Shang 2 started in, in progress and uh, we we finished that in 12 months, but it was basically our first foray successfully in doing two projects at a time. Okay. We were doing that and Market the Ninja at the same time. Um, and, uh, you know, it was more, you know, Shang 2 was more autopilot you know, okay. let's do this again, but we've got, better. We've got the we've got the code. We're just going to yeah. try to keep improving it. Let's do this, but better, basically. Um, and then Mark and the Ninja was the one that was like, okay, what is this thing? How do we make it great? How do we make it, you know, um, different? And uh, yeah, it was it was a difficult it was a difficult road that one. Ninja Ninja was yeah. yeah. So tell me about. I mean, that's. I mean, I love Mark and the Ninja. I think it's a really really remarkable game. Thanks. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I'd love to hear about you know how that how that started, and you know because there's some some interesting choices you made with that game that are unusual and that worked out worked out. So, so the idea came at a, at a GDC. I was with uh, a hotel room with Jeff, and we were talking about new ideas as we do new new game ideas. And one of the things we came up with was that um, there wasn't a Splinter Cell that felt like Splinter Cell since Splinter Cell. Yeah. Right, and so we we decided that that could be a really great game. And then, what if it was two D? That would be really awesome. Then we right. could reuse the stuff that we were doing, and then we could try that. 
and you so that, the, in the sense that you you have a platforming two D engine. Correct. Engine. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, you know, we just started thinking about how to do that, and then we pitched that in the um, in the winter, right? Uh, and we did it as a. I think you've seen. Uh, we we released it. We released the original pitch trailer for Mark oh, really? and Ninja. Okay. Yeah, and the winter. This would be the winter of the winter after you release Shank, the first Shank. <laughs> 2010, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like you must, Shank must have come out in the summer, something like that, if it was delayed for three months That's or whatever. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, so that winter you pitched. You, you, did, you made a video built. So how was it? How was the video was all fake. All fake. Okay. It was just all video. It was all flash. Right. And then After Effects. That was it. It was just right. all that. Uh, but nobody would like, can you make this? Because, <laughs> you know, we just did. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right? So, um, uh, so th- th- we pitched that, we pitched that to uh, to e- e- uh, EA and Microsoft, and Microsoft ended up picking it up. And for the first three months, uh, you know, it was just Nels on that project and some other people. Uh, and uh, first three to four months, it was really slow going. We had some demos. Um, so the first four months was really slow going. It was. I don't. We don't really know how it's going to work out, uh, and we built a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, and about five months in, I was getting really worried because um, I felt like the game was going to get canceled, and I'm pretty sure I was correct. Actually, the game. So you was mean going you're saying canceled. five months in after the contract was signed? Yeah, okay. that's right. Because the progress was not good enough. Okay. The, pro- the progress was just not there. What was what was going wrong? It there was. I mean, the vision of the game wasn't coming through. We didn't really know. Was what the, the original vision, vision pretty similar to what eventually became, or what was the original vision? Then? The original vision was, I would say, the end vision and the original vision is about the same. But okay. in between, there was some changing going on. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we thought that there was going to be lots of small levels yeah. instead of lots of giant levels, okay, or a few giant levels rather. Right. Um, we thought that it was going to be more puzzly than it was what it is right we weren't sure how to do stealthy stuff we, we were doing like these doors that you could teleport around and things like that hmm. uh, because you know it's like walking into the the screen and then coming out another place okay. kind of deal like you didn't necessarily have the, the the actual tunnels that you work through or like yeah i mean there was like no that. um the 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 uh event thing didn't come until i'll, I'll tell you exactly when it came in basically that didn't come in at, at five months. That was not there. Okay. There was no vents. Uh, there was no peaking. Really, there was a bit of peaking, uh, right. but it wasn't really working. And at that time, I was working on what could uh, what could you do in the game? You could go around um, and awkwardly um, uh, stealth kill people. Sure. You could do that, um, but you weren't sure exactly when you could, when you couldn't. It was, yeah. didn't feel very good. How's the rest of the game going to work? We're doing a lot of design documents, which. Ugh. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, um, so the art wasn't coming together, and so at that time, uh, I was trying to remove myself from development. At that time, I had this idea that maybe I shouldn't be uh, mired in development; I should be able to be running a studio. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, "Okay, no, I need to. No, I have to work on this full time." Right. So I came on. A bunch of other people came on. We were all just kind of like piled in. To say we're going to do the vert slice now, okay. And basically, uh, I knew I was going to have a meeting 
in the summer, uh, like in July, I knew I was going to meet them in packs, yeah. packs, and I knew that that's when the vert slice was supposed to be due. And if it wasn't good, the game would be canceled. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And so the strategy was make an amazing vert slice for two reasons. One, so that it doesn't get canceled. And two, so that if it does get canceled, you can still ship it somewhere else. You can still pitch it to somebody else. Right. Because if a game didn't work out, uh, we just lay, we'd have to lay off a whole lot of people. That's basically what would have happened. Right. Well, I also assume you'd try to make a vertical slice because it's actually appropriate for the game you're trying to make. Right? Yes. Like, like that's you right. get all of the tools We need in place. to actually get this game in gear, right. basically. Uh, so, um, that's, I worked a lot. We all worked a lot <laughs> right. to, to get that done. Um, it was a lot of rapid, rapid iteration. It was a lot of just, I'm going to try things, see what happens, see what works. It was a lot of designing, like l- just little diagrams of, you know, s- scenarios, uh, whether or not it would, uh, you know, little puzzles. I would, I would design these little things where it's like the, with, uh, the, the guard will walk back and forth and then you would, um, you know, come out from an edge and, you know, so, so I would build these little levels that proved out scenarios that ended up in the game. Okay. Um, just, like, just like kind of scenarios floating in air, but like, they that's were... right. That, but that felt like it could be in the final game. Right. And that's when we started figuring out like, can, you know, can these, can these ideas that, you know, uh, that was thinking about, can they actually work? Can they actually, can we actually ship it? Um, and that's also when we're starting to figure out, oh, you know, sound is really important and yeah. visualization is really important. Uh, and uh, and then we built the vert slice. Funny, when you say sound is important, when you often people say that, they think you mean the sound of the game. But you mean in the game mechanic of sound. I, I mean the game mechanic of sound, yeah. I mean, I definitely mean, you know, um, knowing what the AI is going to do yeah. or knowing what the AI is thinking about right. is important. Yeah. You know. Well, I think that... Um, one of the things I find very interesting in Market Ninja is how transparent it is right. about everything. You know, the, the, the game rules are right up, right up in your face, and it makes it very clear, you know, all the little footsteps and, like, the state that the guard is in, right. and so on and so forth. And it seems to me it's clearly something that kind of follows something that Sid, um, Sid Meier often says, which is that, like, a, a game, the, the player should be having the fun, not the, not the designer or the computer. Right. Right. And, you know, I think with a lot of games, it's tempting to kind of make, a lot of, especially with stealth games, it's tempting to make them kind of like simulations, where there's stuff going on inside the computer, and you're not necessarily sure the exact state everything is in, and, like, you're just going to kind of experience it, but you guys went the exact opposite approach of, like, we're going to be very explicit about everything and how everything works, and you're just going to start to learn to enjoy and use that system. I actually think that that comes from, you know, think about it, 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 it comes from the AI background, basically. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, one of the, the, I think one of the turning moments was um, when I was starting to design the game and I was, I would build these scenarios and then I'd, I'd be like, hey, Nels, come over and play or whoever, you know, try this out. And uh, the ones that worked were the ones where they could grok what was happening. Yeah. I mean, it sounds obvious right now, but at the time it was not. Uh, and the ones that didn't work was like, I don't understand why they were, you know why the AI is doing such and such, yeah. and so from that, you know, I distinctly remember talking to the programmers uh, who were writing the AI and saying, "We have to make the AI stupider." Yeah, you don't want a, you don't want a good AI. You want an obvious AI. Yeah, that's right. They need to literally get to the end, wait, look like they're going to turn around, right. and then turn around, 
And yep. you know you can do what you know the, the 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 player has plenty of time to react. Yeah. And so if they get caught, it's their own damn fault. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's important like to make that design goal clear. You know that your AI is essentially a game mechanic for the player, right. not like a like an, an obstacle or not like something that pushes back at them like you'd see in Dawn of War or mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a puzzle game, right? In the end, um, yep. Mark of the Ninja ended up being, and still is, a puzzle game that feel makes you feel like a stealthy ninja. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, is a stark contrast to what Invisible Ink is, which is completely not a puzzle game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, yeah, I don't like a lot of puzzle games, and generally because a lot of puzzle games have just one solution. Right. Right. Um, and so... You know, Mark of the Ninja, it was, you know, it's a bunch of challenges. It's great that the maps are these sort of big sprawling things, and yeah. there's all these different paths through them. And, you know, there are definitely some points where you got to do some things. In the way. pushing the crates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some specific things you got to do. That's right. but, um, but, I mean, it's a very flexible system. And so it's funny, I never really thought of it as a puzzle game, but, like, you know, I could definitely see that, you know, you could kind of view it that way. I mean, literally, we were drawing these little puzzles yeah. and then putting them into game. It was right. just on a piece of paper where you draw these puzzles, and they would say, hey, let's implement this thing. Right. So I don't know how else you could call it besides a puzzle, right? That is exactly yeah. what it is. No, that makes sense. Um, hmm. So what, um, so after, so you, you, you went, you guys worked very, very hard to get the vertical slice going. Yep. And that worked? Yeah. So uh, it did. It worked great. It worked great for everybody. We had, you know, we went full bore. We had voiceover. We had cinematics. We had... You know the whole the whole shebang, a whole level um, uh, done up, and uh, there was there was one scene where um, uh, I scripted everyone going um, getting terrified. At the time, the terrified mechanic was not clear yet, okay. so I just scripted the whole thing. Yeah. Basically, how that 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 ended up happening is you would sneak into this room with like five guys, and you would take one down, pull his leg through the event. Yep. Um, that's also when we kind of figured out that vents were cool. Yeah. And uh, and from that, everybody else would get freaked out. But it was literally just a scripted moment where once you take that guy, everyone gets freaked out. And then you can take them out easily because they would shoot the lights and, you know, everything's dark. Right, right. right. Um, so when I showed it to them, uh, they were amazed. They were just... It was it was like, wow, this is totally different than the last thing you showed us. And yeah. I deliberately did not show them any progress until that because we really wanted to make a big, big, big impression. Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, and it worked. I mean, they didn't cancel the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they left us alone as well to how, make the game. How much time did you have left to work on the game at that point? Well, we... Um, it was supposed to be like a 15-month project, and it ended up being 18 months. Okay. Um, Microsoft was actually very, very flexible in timing. Yeah. Just not in money. Like, if you ask for more money, that's hard, right? Sure. And I think that's true for anybody. Yeah. Uh, totally makes sense. Uh, so when we say we need more time, they're like, that's no problem. Yeah. Just, just take more time. Yeah. Time's an easy resource if you can figure out a way to... To, to pay know, for pay it. Your people. But, like, extra time can be so valuable. Yeah. Like, it, it makes a difference between a game that works and one that doesn't. Yeah, you know, that's for right. For sure. Um, hmm. Cool. So at, after, after that point, did things kind of click pretty well and it just... You know, it just in the another year basically to work on it, something like that. We had another uh, no. By then it was like September, so it was PAX. Yeah. So we had already worked on it for nine months. Okay. And so we had another um, nine months or so. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, by then it was just like it was content. 
Uh, obviously, there were issues. Sure. Um, and there was a lot of crunching to get that game out. That was a lot. We, we definitely worked way too much to get that game out. Right. So are the things, looking back, that you would do differently about that game? I mean, I, you know, as the, I mean, it's, it's a game that, like, people, people love, but as a creator, of course, you always, like, see things that other people don't. So there isn't actually anything I would do more with it. I think I might make a different game. And I think that that's literally what Invisible Ink is. Okay. Right? Because it's like, oh, this is... It's your reaction to that. Yeah. It's like, no, I actually want to... What What does a real stealth look like? Sure. Yeah. And well, that's, I guess that is my, my one reaction to Ninja that, you know, I play it and then I'm like, I love all these mechanics, but I don't like that it's static content. Right. Right? Like, that's eventually, you know, I'm going to be done with this game and I'm going to move on. And there's there's not... A ton of content here because it's a downloadable game, right? So, um, and beyond that, I don't, I don't like. I, I generally just don't like games with static content. Period. Right. Right. I see. Um, I like it. I think that it works better as a static. Mark of the Ninja, as it is, works better as static. I don't think that I could make a procedural Mark of the Ninja. I actually think that's very, very difficult. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure that would be really, really difficult. Uh, the one thing I would change is the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have enough time to iterate in the story. Voice acting has something to be desired. You know, for, um, and that's our direction yeah. and all that, right? So, I, I think that uh, the ending was really solid, but you know, just you know, from a if if you look at it from a whole, it's like, oh, what's the what's the point that people did not gravitate to? That's definitely the story hmm. in that game. And the mechanics, the mechanics and the art carried it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But you feel like your reaction to it is kind of like you want to move away and make a, a different style of game. Yeah. We literally said uh, during the Mark and the Ninja. Uh, development we're again talking about new games and the title of the new game is project not side scrolling <laughs> okay all right so yeah it was like the, the, the like we're done with side scrolling we're very we did not want to be the side scrolling company we didn't want to be pigeonholed as the side scrolling company right. and for a long time we were pigeonholed as the eats company and then the shank company and then the side scrolling company and it's like no we need to be our own thing. <laughs> that, might, that might explain a comment I remember. You're going to have to remind me who is his name. He spoke at GDC last year about Don't Starve. Kevin. Yeah, he made a comment, like a sort of offhanded comment about Shank. He's like, he's an angry gentleman who goes from left to right. Like, that's basically <laughs> how he summed up that game. <laughs> and like, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, yeah, <laughs> he, was, uh, he was not the biggest fan of that game. <laughs> which that, is totally cool. I love it. That came across. It's super good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Well, maybe then before we jump into the Invisible Ink, maybe we should talk about Don't Starve then. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's that's another huge element for you guys. It was uh, amazing. Don't Starve was, was a, a game jam game. Okay. And Kevin and Julian... Is that were, something you'd done a lot at that point? Or... No, that was our first game jam. Oh wow! Okay, wow, good job. <laughs> yeah. So our first game jam uh, was uh, that Christmas mm-hmm. of pitching ninja. I, I, sometimes I forget the years now. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, we had uh, two days where it was like like twenty fourth, third, and twenty fourth of December, and nobody was going to get any work done anyway. Yeah. Sure. Uh, we always close our office between 25 and the 1st. That yep. That's always been the case. Mm-hmm. So on the 23rd and 24th, we're like, we'll just make... Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Just do something. And so Kevin and Julian made this um, uh, Lost on an Island simulator. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was... That's definitely overstating what it is. Because it was a fire, and then it used uh, Zelda assets. 
mm-hmm. and then uh, you you walked around with an axe, uh, and during the day you would go out and hunt pigs. Yeah. Um, and anthropomorphized pigs, actually, and then you would uh, kill them for their meat, and you come home, and then with the meat, your your health bar would go up. Yeah. And your health bar just slowly goes down. Right. Uh, and then at night they would chum try to eat you, basically. Yeah. And Basically, it was how many nights can you survive? Yeah. How many days can you survive? And that was it. But it really got across the feeling of I'm going to starve to death. Right. And uh, I'm alone here and it's really creepy. That's yeah. how it came across. Then we didn't do anything with that project for a whole year. Okay. And just kind of, we went on to finish our other games. Um, and we got a, um, a deal that I can't really talk about. So, sure. uh, but we got a deal to do a game, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we ended up pitching Don't Starve for that game, right? Yeah. Uh, we ended up signing this exclusive deal with with Google on that, actually. Uh, and so what happened and ended up happening is uh, that was kind of like our... With here's, Google. Here's, so that's with little, Google. That's a little strange. Yeah, it is It is strange. So Don't Starve, I don't. I, I guess you never saw that Don't Starve actually first came out on the Chrome Web Store. I, I remember that. And I, I remember probably unfairly dismissing it at the time because I'm like, what? It's, it's a web game? Uh, okay. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, right. I, at that point, I put it in the category of a bunch of web games I'm that's not right. particularly interested in. Yeah. And it only, like, was sort of forced upon me later. It's like, well, what the heck is going on with this thing? <laughs> you know? Like, obviously. But, yeah, I remember that it started there. So, basically, it was, like, this chance to do something different. Yeah. And I presented it to to Kevin and, and Julian. I was like, hey, here's this. Here's a chance for you to... How did you get in contact with Google? Like, how did that It was... Uh, um, uh, Bob got me in contact from Uber. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he got me in contact with with Co, and you know we we talked and it worked out. Yeah, yeah. So it was um, we started in the in in January, uh-huh. and it was supposed to ship in six months. Okay, yeah. Uh, and the my only requirement to them was was it using the NACL the native client? client. Okay, yeah, so it right. was just it was just a game that it's just a C plus plus game that's in the Chrome web browser right. that goes basically right to the metal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, except it's got all these sandbox quirks, which makes programmers' life hell. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I, I, the, my only requirement to them, only one, and that was, well, I guess two. One is you ship in six months, and the other is it has to be free to play. Yeah. And it, it didn't either. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they actually did get one out in seven months, which was pretty darn impressive, yeah. actually. It was very, very impressive that that, that, that happened. Um, but because of its free-to-play roots, yeah, it was it's very, very easy to create new content and don't starve. It's, it was built to create content because right. you need to service that thing. And so that turned out to be extremely helpful. If your guy kept dying, which I assume was always part of the plan, mm-hmm. or if that was possible, how was it going to work as a free-to-play game? It's a really good question. <laughs> okay. It's a really, really good question. I can show you all sorts of design docs yeah. some other time, some mind maps of... What we wanted to charge for. <laughs> Thanks. There are a lot of games that were people were trying. To, I tried to bend some of my own. That the games tried to bend to work in free to play back then, and I think. <laughs> well, I mean, the idea is that you know I really wanted to get us out of this loop where we had to get publisher funding. Yeah, you wanted something that was ongoing. I needed. We needed something like that. When, yeah. uh, and that that reasoning is still sound. You yeah. know, 
Uh, and in fact, at that time, we were getting all sorts of different small deals. I started a spreadsheet, which were, you know, calculating how many royalties we we're getting, not how many dollars we were getting, but right. specifically royalties, because we needed that number to go up in order to be independent. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's why I'm like, we need to, this is a chance to try something different. Um, let's just go for it. So we had Mark of the Ninja going, and that was the bread and butter. That was what was making the money for the company. Right. And then we had Don't Starve, which was like, we can try something crazy. Yeah. Let's just do something, what we think could work. And don't worry about what the market says currently. Let's just do the thing that we think might work. Right. And to me, I thought the thing that would work is free to play. Yeah. Uh, they when thought you, differently. <laughs> when you thought, when you, who's they? <laughs> they being Kevin and <laughs> okay. uh, and Julian and the rest of the team, basically. But they nominally agreed to the concept. Oh, yeah, well, because it was like, I either get to make this game or well, I don't get don't, to make yeah, this game. Well, well. You know? <laughs> uh, Involved in there, but... Uh, <laughs> right. Um, when it was launched on the, the Chrome Store, was it free to play at that point? Or it was, was it free. Free period. But not free to play. <laughs> so, like, not, not, not microtransactions. But basically, um, I did a ton of research on free-to-play, and I do believe that this research is what led, um, not is, is part of what led Don't Starve success. Sure. Right? Right? All the pieces came together. You know, they're, the, the game team was genius. It's just, um, but also, you know, just thinking about the whole concepts. So uh, I knew that we needed to figure out what our metrics were before the the metric the the um, free to play thing would work. So we started building those metrics in, and we we put that out the free game out, and then we could f- figure out what people are doing with our game and whether or not it was going to be successful. Um, meanwhile, Kevin was doing his best to subvert uh, the free to play of the game. <laughs> he was. Were you aware of this? Or? Oh yeah, we we were talking about it all the time. Yeah, it's like okay. I'm trying to subvert you right now, <laughs> right? I'm building this thing so it's really hard and I'm like well if you do it this way (laughs) right and and then we have these like giant discussions on how it might work and instead of play uh, you know uh, pay to win we were trying win to pay (laughs) so you know and things like that it was just totally awesome (laughs) and we did it for free um, just so that we could get feedback sure and it was on Chrome Web Store so nobody knew about it (laughs) which is the best we didn't want people to know about it we just wanted people to play it and then we started seeing people were playing way longer than we expected. Um, and also, our retention was poor. No, it was very good for a game, but poor, not good enough for a free-to-play game. Yeah, sure. And we had almost no content yet. Yeah. And so, when I looked at it, I'm like, we're going to have to raise the retention by a lot. And we're going to have to 100x our content before we can free-to-play this thing. Right. And so... Uh, what do you mean by content? Like stuff in the world. It was barren. The world was just trees and right. some pigs and some spiders. There just wasn't enough stuff to do. Right, okay. So people would burn out, right? right. And what the heck are you going to buy if there's no content? Right. You need content. Well, what I mean is it still was going to be randomly generated. Right? Yeah, but you, you, what do you buy? You might buy skins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All you might the buy this. You might buy this. Right? Junk. In the game. Junk. Yeah. Sure. You know, anything. Really. Like literally there was nothing to buy. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, so w- when I looked at it, it was like, well, maybe. Then I started talking to 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 um, uh, Valve a bit more about the game, about putting it onto Steam. I started talking to uh, Uber about their experiences, and just like all these people. And I was like, well, you know what? We should just sell the game first. Yeah. 
And then if it doesn't work out, we can always make it free later. Yeah, that's a very viable model. Like, like you know, right. for for a lot of games, you you know, if it doesn't work, yeah, exactly. Like, if you sell it, great. And if you don't, then we'll just make it free. Yeah. So we were we were playing around with that, and uh, we started doing um, a we did the Minecraft model where the price will increase as time goes on. Yeah. Okay. And. Uh, we also did it so that uh, it was a trial purchase inside Chrome Web Store. Okay. Um, and we also made it so that if you bought one, you got an What does a trial purchase mean? Like demo purchase. Demo unlock. Okay. It was a demo unlock. Okay. Um, and we made it so that, you know, if you bought a copy, you would get a free copy to give to your friend. Okay. Because we wanted to spread the game. And the idea was that if it's ever going to be a free-to-play game, a lot of people have to play it. Yeah. And also, I just felt like that's interesting. I mean, multiplayer games do that a lot, but not often single-player ones. Yeah, but I just felt like, you know, the amount of people that we're going to touch is so small that giving away another copy is... Yeah, might as well. What are you charging for it? It was $7 okay. for two copies. Yeah, that's pretty low. Yeah. yeah. So $7 for one copy, you get a free copy. Yeah. And then it was $9, and then it was, you know... Um, and when we did that, uh, we started seeing the conversion rates being... Double digit, like fifteen percent conversion. Yeah, which is ridiculous because we're for a game on the Chrome Web Store. Yeah, along with all this other crap, like just yeah. like ridiculous st- uh, ripoffs of stuff. Yeah, right. And we're seeing these conversion rates. We didn't have people, we didn't have volume, but we had conversion, and so that started this down the path of like, well, maybe this could work as a paid game. Maybe it could work, but our numbers are so low that we don't really know. So we started doing, you know, Google started. Um, putting us on the front page for a bit and we got more people from that and then I remember clearly I was um, in Hawaii at the time on a vacation and uh, as you do once you start getting royalties I'm sure you do this all the time how's your your, your F5 button doing <laughs> right, yeah. these days I pressed it a few times right um, per hour right so <laughs> uh, you know I was F5ing on the on the Google payments and then suddenly we made like $8,000 I was like, "What happened?" And Total Biscuit had oh, yeah. had uh, talked about our game on the Chrome Web Store, <laughs> and people were buying this game on the Chrome Web Store. Right, I was like, right. "What is going on? Like, this world is weird." Um, yeah. Anyway, and it just kept snowballing. Uh, uh, the more people played, the more people talked about it. Uh, by the time I went on Steam, uh, that's when it really blew up. Were there design challenges with it, or did like it kind of just extend from the original concept? It was just like you just more more stuff kept getting added, and uh, it was very different. It was very it was um uh the the original game there was nothing to it, and then the original prototype there was also nothing to it. Like you would kind of go around and get some food, and then mm-hmm. try not to starve. Yeah, but it didn't really get into the loop of like I'm going to starve and I need to take risks and if I and I need to learn and if I don't take risks then I'm going to die anyway and trying to just get that loop going where there's like multiple threats going on all at once. Yep. Um, it actually took a very long time to get a hold of that. That was what was interesting about the game. Okay. Um, and even when we did, we started like when it was starting to really gel was when when Kevin and I were talking and really getting to the you know, this game is about intrinsic rewards. That's what this game is about. Okay. okay. We are not going to do extrinsic rewards about this game. So right. we need to really double down on that. And what does that mean? So, again, it was one of these, like, this game is a chance to do something different. 
Right. So we're just going to go all the way. So when you say no extrinsic rewards, you weren't you weren't explicitly rewarding the player for whatever. It's just they they found their own way through the game. Is That's that right. So so it was all systemic. So for example, we would never tell them what their we would never tell them what their goal is. Yeah. We would never give them an objective. Yeah. We would never give them achievements. We what? would never give them. I distinctly you know, remember from Kevin's talk. He talked about it. at one point there was a tutorial with like here are like five things you need to do. Blah, blah, That's blah. right. And what, what the problem was is that the players would do the five things, and then once it got to the end of the tutorial, they would just stop. They would, they, they would they like, would the know, game's done. They, yeah, they have no idea what to do at that point. That's and right. Like, you have to either commit to, like... I mean, at that point, the, the Zynga games were, like, tutorial well, we, we just give the rest you, of your life. Yeah, we just you know, give you a would, thousand more. It would, it would never end, you know, and then, you know, and then... And that's the thing with games. You have to kind of commit to kind of some extreme paths, you know. And if you don't do that, that's fine. But you shouldn't do it at all, right? And that's something I, I, I really believe in in game design. Like, you just got to commit. Do it all the way. Uh, and Ninja was like that. It's like all the way. You know, at one point in Ninja, you could uh, battle the guard. Okay. And I actually had this, I had this, uh, uh, you know, countering mechanism. They would right. sh- shoot and you could press the button. Sure. And then you could take their gun and kill them. And it was yeah. actually, it was implemented. Yeah. We, had, we did it. But that's not what the game was supposed to be about. Right? What would end up happening is people would do that instead of sneaking around. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which mm-hmm. is, sounds obvious. But it was like it was when we weren't completely committed to being a stealth game. Yeah. It was like we need to completely commit to you are weak if you face them, you know, uh, head on. You need to sneak around. And so this game was like this is about learning. It's about your own decisions and how that's interesting in and of itself. Right. And that's why we believe that if you play for five hours and then you die and you lose everything, mm-hmm. that's okay because. The joy was playing. The joy wasn't what you got at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The joy was the actual experience and of playing it. Your understanding of the game has progressed. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you and I play chess, I mean, we're not mad that when the we game's over. when the game's over and we have right. to put the pieces away. That's not you know you don't have to keep that there. Yeah. It's so hard. That's such a like there. So many people approach games from the opposite perspective of like they just expect progression. Right. That's why they play games. That it's it's it started to it, there seemed like there was this period where it sort of felt like it was infesting everything mm-hmm. and it still is to some extent like and I progression believe, is, is like seeped into like almost every genre right I believe that people actually want the intrinsic rewards mm-hmm. but that's a really hard thing to build like yeah. that game is hard to do sure. uh, and it, it could easily have been that we didn't end up succeeding yeah right? and in fact don't starve has a problem. The first half hour isn't different enough from time to time. Hmm. So you're not learning. You're not having right. you're interesting You're just going decisions. through the motions again. Correct. You're going through the motions. So that part is probably the weakest part of the game, the hmm. first half hour. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of... I mean, obviously, I'm sure people describe it sort of like a roguelike because it's the same same concept of like you're, you're mm-hmm. going to lose your stuff, but what you get is you're learning. Um, but what's also interesting is you just look at Don't Starve in that... Um, sort of like a survival crafting game is a huge thing now mm-hmm. right but it wasn't necessarily it was when you time. when you guys began like um so that that movement didn't really influence you maybe you influenced that mo- movement i'm not sure but like like was that something that you think was destined to happen at this point like, like i'm just curious survival? how you feel like how you feel like don't star fits into that that thing that's still going on right now I think that we, I think it was a Minecraft thing rather than a 
you know, certainly we, we've affected other people for sure. But, you know, since Minecraft came out, I think that it was inevitable that these kinds of games would come out and right. be popular. I think so. Um, I think that, you know, from a roguelike perspective, that was, you know, FTL did a huge deal. Spelunky did a huge deal. What's interesting about those games is they kind of, from a design perspective, they kind of solve it away and they say, you know, uh, if you die, don't worry, you only lost like an hour or 30 minutes of your time. Right. Right. And so they, they, they explain it away that way. Right. Uh, and I felt like, you know, we wanted to go all the way <laughs> with Don't Starve. And this sure. is like, no, no, it doesn't matter how long you've been playing. Yeah. That doesn't matter because it's fun to just play it. Yeah. Although we also didn't know that people would play that long. We thought that the maximum people would play is 15, 20 days. Yeah. Like that's the maximum expert person. Yeah. Um, and very quickly we saw 100 days, 200 days. And we're like, what is going on? Now we have now, to deal with content. Is there some sort, there's some sort of end, isn't there, though, right? Yes. Um, I say that in that way because we hide it. Okay. Because we don't want people to feel like you need to beat the, the game. Yeah. We don't want people to feel like the goal, again, the goal of the game is to beat it. Uh, we didn't want people to feel that way. Right. So uh, in this vast world, there is an adventure portal somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And if you find it, then you go into it and we generate five series of increasingly hard worlds for you. Right. And then if you beat that, then you'll actually reach the end of the game. Right. Where you unlock the last character and then you actually get popped back into the same world again. But right. that's basically the end of the game. Yeah. Do people... I mean, do people try to get to the end, or do they kind of, like, not care that it's there? Or, like, what? how do people react to it? How I think vast, it? vast, vast majority of people never even know exists. Yeah. You know? Or um, don't try, which is totally fine. I, that's not the point of the game at all. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have even guessed that there was an end until I, like... You looked it up? S- no, until Kevin mentioned it in the lecture. Oh, yeah. Like, I had okay. no idea. It, was just, it, didn't, it didn't seem like the type of game that would have an end, so I assumed there wasn't, right? Like, there wasn't that high-level messaging. Like, even at the very beginning, like, in the intro, you could have shown something that suggested that it's possible to win, right? Right, and that's right. there was nothing like that, so how would I know? That, why would I think that That's there, exactly the purpose, though. That was, like, what we wanted. Which actually hurt us in reviews, because reviews were like, there's no point to this game, there's no ending, <laughs> right. you know? And it's like, no, you just didn't play it long enough, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but that's cool. Like, it's that's their that's the reaction they have, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and now you guys have a multiplayer version, right? Right. Yeah, and that seems that seems like such the obvious next step for it, right? And and Kevin is wringing his hands because he loves a single player game. He built it to be a lonely single player game. Uh, I guess so. Right, well, lonely two-player game. It's not <laughs> lonely sixty-four player game. Oh, really? Oh, no, I, thought, I thought it was a two-player. It's thing. currently up to twenty-four. Oh, well, that's not lonely at all. No, it's not. No, no <laughs> okay. it's a free-for-all. Actually, it's pretty hilarious. So, does that lead to a totally different game? Essentially, I mean, it must totally be, different right? dynamic. It's super fun. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, from a design perspective, I actually think it's just super interesting. Are you guys running the servers then, or something? Or yeah, we are. You're running the servers. Well, okay. how do you? No, no, we we are. Here? We are running servers. We're not running the game servers. It, uh, it's actually Minecraft style where people run their own servers. Okay, sure. Uh, we but have one, some dedicated... one specific person is like, I'm launching a Don't Starve server, and you can just, you know, as long as there's a that. slot, you can join or you whatever. You can join that. Yeah, we, we, we do the lobby. Okay. We do the lobby servers. We do login servers. So you connect you connect people to servers. Yeah, um, and we also have a few dedicated servers. Are people... How many people do you think are playing publicly versus playing in, like, just with their friends? 
Seventy percent of people just play with their friends. Okay. And do you have any idea? You have any idea of the average number of players is? Mm. Average is such a weird number. Yeah, sure. You know, average is such a well. What's the range? Like, maybe what, like a median. What have you seen? You know, basically. Uh, um, it's you know four people. Like if you if you actually just start a game, mm. it's uh, uh, the max is six because okay. we just lock it to six because most people computers can't handle twenty four. Okay. So if six people play and they work together really closely, is the game easier? So that's what I thought, because, you know, division of labor and all that. Yeah. But it just turns out that you eat each other's food so fast. <laughs> and it gets so much harder. The game is way harder with more people. Yeah. Um, and it's actually a, uh, uh, a terrain problem. So, you know, what, how the game is balanced is first you forage and then you farm. And then you hunt and then you farm. Yeah. Right or first you forage and then you farm in the hunts, whatever order you like. But first is foraging. Yeah. Now, if you all start in the same place, then you're eating the foraged amounts very, very quickly. Right. So, uh, you know, you run out of food very, very quickly. Right. And now everyone's like, "Stop eating my food!" <laughs> right. <laughs> it is so fun. Um, and then you have to all prepare to have four times the amount of food you need for winter because winter is what when oh, it's sure. really hard yeah winter is where it really gets real yeah and so you have to have enough stuff built up for 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 four people uh and so unless you're all really good players it's actually it gets pretty challenging right uh i mean if you have one excellent player he can lift two other players sure right hmm. you know interesting it's uh, I mean, it's a very, very different situation. But in off world, we do have a team game where you can kind of share, you can share your resources with other people, right? And it leads to these very hilarious situations where, it, unless you're like really working well together as a team, like everyone's stealing each other's resources, right. and like I needed that steel, like I That's was right. like, accumulating two hundred steel, so we can upgrade. Where did it go? Who took my steel? You know, and like it's the best, and yeah, and you'll get teams playing against each other, and like you know, when you play a free for all, as long as people are equal skill level, like you get, you get, you know. People don't get... They kind of come to the end together, basically. Right. Like, you get kind of this big climax at the end. But if you have them, those same people playing together in Shared teams of two, yeah. yep. um, and they don't work together, the teams that don't work together just get crushed. You know, like, yeah, they get, like, just right. wiped out immediately. And, like, it's it's just... It has such a different feel to it. So, yeah. Yeah, just cooperative play is just so fascinating. If you look at the reviews, it's... You know, there's tons of, you know... Uh, how to lose your friends play don't start together <laughs> you know things like that it's just hilarious people will set fire to each other's stuff by accident yeah. or by accident that's hilarious because it's a game where you're supposed to be working together right like yeah well I mean no <laughs> it's kind of yes I mean it's like Lord of the Flies it's up to the players I guess it's right? totally Lord of the Flies yeah. you know yeah. hmm. except that you can't eat each other <laughs> not yet <laughs> no it's actually a mod uh, okay, there's I'm actually sure, a mod. I'm sure it is. Yeah, there's a mod for that. Uh, there's a mo- there's a mod for everything now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, oh, I love our modding system. It's super fun. Right. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Is it just is it sort of enabled? Because I assume a lot of your stuff's in Lua, right? Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, against the 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 team wanted to wait to build the API, and I really wanted to get the modding system going as soon as we could. Right. Uh, so. Basically, uh, they were like, well, I'm not going to work on it right now. So I, I just wrote it so that people could write Lua and it would just overwrite Over our files. Right. <laughs> right? Okay. Which has the obvious downsides to it. 
right. very obvious downsides to it. Um, but it also just really kickstarted the whole system going, and we were able to figure out what people actually wanted to do with the modding system. Yeah. And then build API based on that. Yeah, modding you know, in many ways is like the best source of feedback you ever get because you immediately see the things that like they don't they, want they, that they want. Yeah, they, exactly. Things. Yeah, and um, then you also and that see they, and whether that they it works. care enough enough to put time into fixing. They're yeah. not just like complaining about it. like they actually are like this is something I care enough about. I'm going to go and fix it myself. Yeah, yeah. So our top mod right now has um, 150 thousand subscribers or something. Okay, is that is this through Steam Workshop? Or yeah, Steam that? Workshop. Okay, yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's for the for the mini map. It's awesome. And they have a gesture wheel one. So we have like gestures that you can, uh, uh, emotions, the emoti- um, what do you call them when they animate and do the emotion thing? The emoticons, you mean? No, you mean like gestures yeah. like in the game? Yeah. I don't know, some MMO term. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I suddenly forget. Anyway, someone, um, one of our, our, our top modders, uh, Reza Sheep, he built like these, a gesture wheel mod. And so you can just kind of flick your mouse and then he'll do the, the thing. The thing, which yeah. is super cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, should we talk about Invisible Ink a little bit then? Like, uh, how that came about? Uh, yeah, sure. It sounds good. Um, I love Invisible Ink. Have you played it? Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's it's pretty cool. I, it was, I played the um, version, well, I wrote you an email about it, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. I, I played the version, I'm like, this is, this is too hard. <laughs> that's right, this is too hard. <laughs> Which yeah. is totally predictable. It's totally predictable that that was, like, you were going to have that phase. Like, that's you developed right. internally, you guys got good at it, you released it, and everyone's like, oh, jeez. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the thing is, like, the, the difficulty level was was totally fine. I didn't want you to tune it down. You just needed to add a stage before it. Like, that's because right. You didn't we needed need the to, ramp. Yeah, you didn't need Baptism by Fire, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it's a hard game to tune. Holy cow. Have you played um, Netrunner? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, that's like, it's like a cliff, right? Yeah, yeah. To get To get... To, and it's a very similar. I mean, we have a lot of. Uh, yeah, I can tell it's heavily like the vibe is heavily known. Yeah, there's else. there's a lot of vibe there, but also from gameplay perspective, it feels exactly the same. It's like this huge cliff before you can get yeah. into it. Uh, when at that time. Yeah. And so basically, for the next. Yeah, I that sense. Like, I'm not even sure if I'm approaching the problem the right way. Right. Like, can I even solve it this way? I guess I'll keep trying. I don't know. <laughs> so for the next year, all we were doing was making it so that you know people could understand how this game works, mm-hmm. because it's a very different game. Right. There has, as far as I know, hasn't been another procedural stealth game. Sure. And uh, the reason why it's so interesting is because literally you are you know information is power in this game. Right. And if you if you knew the whole map all the time, the game's really easy. Yeah. You just kind of it's a puzzle game now. You just kind of work around it uh but you're working really hard to find out you know what's around the corner what can i hack what are the resources i can use um and you're a um uh, like mark of the ninja you know if you get caught you're just dead but unlike mark of the ninja when you're dead you're actually dead Mm -hmm. and you start all over right and that's important in this game because it needs to feel like the proceduralness of it and the the uh, finality of it makes you feel like a real spy because right. there is stake in every move that you're doing. Right. Right. So it's the most stressful turn-based game around, I think. Like, when I'm playing it, I'm feeling, like, the stress of it, the, the yeah. excitement of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I definitely felt that, like, whatever whatever I do, I better feel like it's the right move because, you know... Otherwise, you're just dead. It all, it all fall apart, right. yeah. But then, but then uh, we actually build on all these mechanics where you can recover from it, and you feel like the best spy ever when you recover because... You know, all these mechanics working together, and you revive your agent, and you get to the, you know, anyway, it's... Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
it's, it's cool. I mean, I, I remember back in that version, there was a lot of situations of, like, I could knock the guy out for two rounds, but it would take two rounds for my gun to, like, recharge, knock him out again, and then I'm, like, <laughs> in a situation you where just I, keep knocking I can the keep doing like this, this, but, like, right. eventually, like, what? where is my path out of here? Um, but, uh, but I mean, I, I love the... You know, I love games with with like very plausible procedure, procedural generation, and then have you know, you know, very meaningful decisions. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I haven't played recently, but I'm looking forward to trying it again. Yeah, just play it when it's done. That's what I keep telling people yeah, right now yeah. because uh, it's getting exponentially better. Yeah, it'll how, be done soon. How's the? I mean, so you guys went up in early access in what was that September or something yeah, like that? That's right. Yeah, um, and how's that process been for the game? I mean, it must be vital, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely made the game way better. Um, could I have done it without early access? Uh, I'd have to just keep getting people into the office, basically. New, fresh people into the office. Right? That's what you were doing before? That's what I was doing with Mark and the Ninja. That's how we yeah. did it. There was no early access back then, and I wouldn't want to ever early access a game like that. Yeah, but with Mark and the Ninja, you can have a very clear sense of... Because you have the first level. Right. So you get a very clear sense of how people handle the first level, whereas with, with Invisible Ink, it seems like... Someone needs to almost play the game for five hours before you get a sense of like whether they're going to get a whether they're going to get a handle on the systems or not. Well, like, I feel like uh, they should be able to get a handle. Like, don't starve; you can get the handle within an hour, no problem. Right. And I feel like we need to get to that point. Yeah. And I believe that that's where we're get where we are now. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so uh, that's what the game was back then. Right. You need to play the game for five hours, and then you understand it now. Right, but that's way too much to ask of it. Of, of so, how did you change? How did you change that? Did you take? Did you take stuff away? Did you make it simpler in that earlier phase, or what did you do? It's a lot of feedback. You know, it's mm. just like why? Why did I lose here? What could I do? What can what I could do? You do? Okay, how right? do you communicate the, the alternatives? Oh, just a thousand little things. Just just a thousand, like uh, you know, if I go up diagonally beside a person, I can't take them out, but I can right behind them. Right. So I pop up the take out button, and when you hover over it, it tells you you can't do it diagonally. Right. Right. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. I think that's very important to have buttons. Like buttons should appear even when you can't use them. That's like a that's a learning opportunity because right. that's when that's you can right. tell the player like this pot the possibility for this exists, and we can highlight the you know you can show in red these are the two or three reasons why I can't do it right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then things like um, even naming. So we not named it. Uh, easy and normal, right? And so people would just play it normal and just get their <laughs> get, just get destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're supposed to play easy, you know. Yep. So now we call it beginner and expert, right? Okay. So, and it has a description of what that means, right. and, and things like that, you know. We improved the tutorial. Um, uh, just when when you get caught, we show spaces that you could go that. Um, that, that won't kill you because that's not giving you more information that a, that an experienced person doesn't know. Right. An experienced person knows where you could go and not get killed. Right. So I'm just going to show you that information all anyway. the time anyway. Right. You know. Okay. Cool. And there's a, just a thousand little things where the way I see design often is that you know a, a, a ramp up design rather is that there's this frustration jar. Mm-hmm. And if it overfills, you've lost them. Right. And you could fill that frustration jar with whatever. And so even a little thing like um, our game, uh, the the inventory, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't drag and drop. You, you had to click it. Yeah. And then the item would show up. Right. But people would drag and drop 
but that meant that they would click on it, drag their mouse away, let go, and then the, the item wouldn't move. Right. And so they'd just be confused. I guess I'm not picking up that item. I guess I already I guess picked I can't it up. Do that or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Right. And there's like five bucks into the into the frustration jar. Yeah. You know. And so just by solving those things, uh, you can spend more of it on teaching the actual game mechanics. Yeah. Sure. Right. So this is like a thousand things that we've been working on. Right. Right. Um. So what's what states is that right now? Like. Um, like, do, do, you, do you guys know when you're going to release it, or is it May. Just, May? We'll be done in May. Yeah, we're doing. We did, we did the. We we're doing the final mission. We're polishing everything up. All the VOs going in. Yeah. You know, the stories coming together. Yeah. Uh, lots of different options. All the different agents. Uh, there's ten different agents that you can be. You know, all the starting programs that that give you all sorts of different uh, play styles. Right. Uh, the balancing of when things unlock. All of that stuff is going in right now. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And how did this is maybe we're going backwards here, but how did you how did this project start? Like, it was, was supposed the, to be a free to play game. <laughs> are you serious? I'm serious. <laughs> Boy, you're fun, this white this white whale, the permadeath free to play game. That's a it's hilarious. a great idea, dude. Um, uh, sure, you know. It's just this thing that you know. I, I want. I, I I've been believing in free to play since the Nexon days. Uh-huh. You know, and I think it works. Um, but often, you know, we're 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 in it, and then it's like, no, it's not going to work here, and so we just don't do it. Yeah. But every time, I feel like I'm getting a bit better at it, and I'm getting a bit better. And well, it's a huge challenge. What I what, I, what I usually tell people is like, it's it's hard enough to make a good game. I know. Period. But yeah. you, you're talking about you want to make a good game, and you also want to make a good business model on top of that. That's right. Like you're, 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 you know, you're you're not doubling, you're quadrupling your challenges. Absolutely, and it is. Yeah. That, that's why so many of the free to play games are basically variations on each other. Is because it's so hard to come up with. You know, you you, you they better don't want follow, to exactly. You better yeah. follow a business model that works because it's be so easy to make a game that's awesome, but the business model is just a disaster. And then what have you made, right? You've just thrown away a good game. So, um, yeah, it's well, it's interesting that you still <laughs> you're still holding just, out. Just keep hammering. Are you, the, are you the, the, guy, the one guy in the studio who believes that? No, I'm not. Okay. There are there are definitely others. Um, <laughs> that would be really sad if I was really the only one. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's fine. It's 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 kind of a running joke, obviously, as as you 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 can tell. <laughs> you know, um, but. Uh, it's something that you know I keep thinking about and keep challenging us, yeah. and I do think it helps because it really helps us like open our mind to different things. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that uh, that's really helped us build these totally different kinds of games. Again, you know, Don't Starve has been in development. I mean, we still support it today, right. and a big part of that is because how how quickly we can come up with new content. Sure, and that's because it was designed as a free to play game. So. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, how was how was Invisible Ink supposed to work then? It was supposed to be a multiplayer mobile game. Oh, okay. So it was it was very different. It was and very then, different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's to your guys' credit that you were able to you know make a quick change to something that you guys are happy with. And... Yeah, I mean, I think that it turned out great. You know, it took a lot longer than we expected, uh, yeah. but you know, it's something. It's it's uh, it definitely does something different. My only fear is that people don't know and you know i want people to play it because i know that it does something really different and yeah. it's super super cool well so. i know there's gonna be a 
there's going to be a crowd. I don't know how big that crowd is right. going to be, but there's going to be a crowd that really get into the game. Yeah, you know, and like usually that spreads out, you know, because their their passion like you know spreads out to to other people. But um, but I, I definitely think that there will be people who love it for sure. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it's already been actually a pretty big success for us. Like it's yeah. it's continued. We can see that just like our other games, it will it will do fine. It will do it will do really solid. Um, uh, but you know, it's just in the back of my mind. What if? What if people don't buy it? You know, what if I'm sure that's how you you you, you yeah, get yeah, those yeah. I always, all the time. Right? I, like if I see I see if I, I see if it drop a few slots, I'm like, oh, well, this is it. This yeah, is that's it. That's done. No one will ever buy this game. It's yeah, a complete drop right. on the card charts. People are like we saw it. This game is weird. We don't want to buy it anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, did um, what was uh, so when it was on early access? It is still on early access. Well, right, it is yes. still on early access. But when it went to early access, like was it a positive experience? Like just talk a little about the experience, like of dealing with because the community must have changed some at that point. Well, you, you did you guys have a private beta before then? You just went from like internal testing no. right, to early access. So, so you know that we early access don't starve as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so we've already been through the early access thing yeah. before, and then we released um, Invisible Ink called as Incognita yeah. in the beginning, mm-hmm. and we released it only on our website via an alpha so oh, okay. it, was, it was the alpha you yeah. could buy it on our website only yeah that's great that's a good I, way to go it was except the game was too early like it, oh, we shouldn't have released it yet that's okay. my feeling were, so people people bought it and they were not happy with it or it just felt like they you weren't getting good feedback because uh, so... you know there were everyone understood that it did something different and it was pretty cool but that was where it went yeah you know and so I just think that it should have been better yeah before we we put it out, was this private at all, or were people no? Free anyone to... can do it. Anyone can buy it. Well, I mean, we're people doing... were people were free free to like make videos of it and oh yeah, anything you want. Okay. Yeah, we were just super open. Yeah, um, we don't have any publishers, so we just like whatever we want to do. Sure. Yeah. Right? So we we tried that, and uh, it was just like it wasn't good enough in yeah. our opinion. Uh, and so you know, by the time we got to early access, this was the time when it was you know we think that this could possibly this could work for the public. Right. To be honest, I actually think it still doesn't work. As you saw when you played it, you're like, right. oh, "This is too hard." Yeah. And so it's like, no, I think that we should have gotten the ramp right first. Right. And so we still didn't do that part yeah. well enough. Yeah. That's my that's my feeling about that. Uh, but the hardcore people give us tons of great feedback. Yeah. Right. And uh, the midcore, even though the, the 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 people who bounced off, that was really good feedback that people right. were bouncing off. Yeah. Right. And so. Uh, I just think that we could have done the bouncing off thing without early access. I think that you could find out that it was bouncing people without early access. How would you have found that? You just keep calling people into the office to play sure. the game. Yeah, yeah. You know that that doesn't take three hours of play. That takes half an hour, and you right. nearly bounced because, it, because it's the beginning. Yeah, right. It's the it's the hardcore balancing part that you do need. How did you not catch playing. that then? It, it was too rushed, I guess. Yeah. You know, it was just yeah. I mean, we did have some people in. Um, it was also like the development had been going on for a long time. You really wanted to get it out. It just the team like it just time. Yeah. The team just wanted to get it out. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I so. mean, I think it's not the worst thing in the world. Right? No. You know, like no, it's, it's totally fine. It's what early access is supposed to be for anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so as you've been iterating, you know, it's definitely the type of game you can easily imagine. You do, you know, you iterate in with the community, you make it better continually. Are you able to like those improvements? You are you able to see. Like, does that impact the actual sales of the game, or do you feel like 
a lot of people are just waiting for the release and like you know you know you're making it better which is great for you guys but like so so if we don't starve Mm -hmm. we never saw any uptake in sales when we did updates okay never Uh, but we believe that that really helped just keep people into the game but it stayed steady and it stayed steady exactly so I believe that it helped it stay steady but you couldn't see it ever like you couldn't see it in the graphs ever right um and uh, and I think that's that's super important for Invisible Ink. I think that uh, you know most people are just waiting for it to release. Yeah, that's what I believe. We had a really huge spike in the beginning, and then just looked like looked like a normal game uh, release actually. So more more than anything, Don't Starve is just really different than yeah, everything else. Sure. You know, uh, but uh, Invisible Ink looks like most games, which is like had a really strong spike. In fact, it was our it was it was our biggest launch of all our games on Steam. Wow. Um, and then it came down, and it really just flattened out, yeah. right? And I think it's just like everyone's just waiting for it to be done, which yeah. is great yeah. for me. I'm like, yes, please, just wait till it's yeah. done. Now, yeah, it's now totally I have, yeah. I have the the info, information I need. In fact, if it didn't, if it wouldn't um, look terrible, I would take it off sale. I wouldn't let people. Buy I've, it. I've actually thought about that because I, I am worried about with Offworld, or just in general, like that mm-hmm. the fact that you switch from early access to to like regular access or yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> to launch yeah to launch like it should be a big deal it should mean something but if it like if it was on sale the day before right like how do you how do you make that transition it seems like it seems like it would be worthwhile to like take it off the market for a month or two that's like, what I want right now I want to take it off the market but I think that that would look terrible people would think like oh no it it got abandoned or something yeah you know, I'd have to explain it it's a mystery know? well why don't you do it and then I'll right, see yeah. how it turns yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, I think it's fine. I mean, nobody's really, you know, it's just it's just kind of like yeah. there right now. They don't now. think about it. Until they don't really think about it. Yeah. So, uh, and then when it comes in, like all the features will come in at the same time. It's going to be really, it's going to be solid. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you one other thing, kind of like since we kind of gotten to the to the present day. At a high level, one of the things that stands out to me about Clay is that um, you know you guys are a small new studio. That went through a number of years where things were tough, you yeah. know, and that's fairly typical. There's yeah. a lot of indie studios that go through this process of like, oh, it's so hard to sign a contract, and like we right. have this game, but we just don't have the we don't have time. We need to make it good, and like we're just you know you're spinning the wheel, and then suddenly, as if it's just no big deal, you guys do great game, great game, great game. Like how how did that happen? Like at a high level, you know, you're running the company, like. Uh-huh. Maybe not the easiest question to answer, but like, I mean, it's you guys made a transition. I mean, it's it's. I would not say hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Because hindsight is totally not twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually just colored by all the things that you're seeing. Right. So, um, you know, I have actually thought about this a bunch of times, and and uh, you know, some of the explanations is you know, Jeff and I used to t- say a lot that. All we're doing is giving ourselves another shot at the bat, another another hit um, at, that, right. uh, at the bat, right? And, and to see if we could knock it out of the park, right? And I think that you know Shank could have done that if we had executed properly. And mm-hmm. so it's like, no, we can do this. And around Shank Two time, while Mark and the Ninja was in progress, um, Jeff and I talked together, and we really asked ourselves, do we really want to keep running this company? Mm-hmm. 
because you know we're spinning our wheels and if things don't improve our life sucks this is a really shitty yeah. thing to do right in fact it's much better to be our employees than us it's just like so stressful <laughs> sure. yeah yeah right it's just really we're always hitting the road trying to get stuff yeah um and so i don't want to do that anymore so we better have a plan uh and it so happened that the plan worked out way faster than we expected it to mm-hmm. right and um i think that's partly just you know when you actually finally have a plan it really you know you can make it happen so there's that part where we're, you know i was telling you about the royalty thing we yeah. really doubled down on getting so invisible ink was actually also funded by the government at that time okay i ended up giving their money back to the government actually but you know at the time we were trying all these different projects to get royalty and don't start was the one that hit yeah right um and right around that time was also when we doubled down on saying, you know, we're great at programming, we're great at art, we're not great at design right now. Yeah. So how do we get good at design? Mm-hmm. And so we started really double, really thinking about deeply about how do we get good at that? And, you know, Nels was a part of that. You know, my own transformation was a part of that because before that I wasn't doing as much design. And it was like, no, I must be good at design for this game, for yeah. this company to be a success. Yeah. Well, that's simple to say, but like, what does that mean exactly? Um, it's a good question. I don't. I don't really know. I mean, is this that you took it seriously? Like, you know, this is this is important. This is other, the key, this is a discipline? very important thing. Exactly. Yeah. This is a discipline that you have to care about. Um, and uh, and that meant you know people coming in every week to play your game, even though it sucks. Yeah. You know, uh, that meant trying to break down design and um, and thinking about the whole experience as opposed to little bits and pieces. You know, that meant reading the shitty reviews and instead of. Um, you know, being defensive about it, trying to understand what it really means underneath. Yeah, right? that that to me is the key that separate that like separates out who's going to potentially be a, a good designer is being able to read that stuff and like do something with it mm-hmm. instead of getting hurt. Right, and it's super hard. It is so. It's so hard. Yeah. But, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. the, it's the only way. You know, no one You're just right. That's right. no one just sits down and designs a great game and like just because they have that gift, right? Like that's right. not how that's it right. happens. You know, and it's it's tough, but like it's the way, basically. Yeah, I mean, still often it's like I have to. I'm gonna read your feedback, and then I'm gonna go cool down for a while. <laughs> Just get mad and get cool down for a while, and then I'll come back and ask some more questions. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. I'll often get that even just with my team. There'll be, there'll, there'll be something that is bugging them about the game, and they'll keep bringing it up to me. And at some point, I'm even like partially blow up and like, come on, just. Uh, but yeah, then, that's like, right. But then. Like, Why can't you like, play it right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but every like two or three days later, without even telling anyone, I'll basically go in and kind of do something like what they were worried about. Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. We're much happier. That's right. Um, it's it's hard, but like you know, they're your, you know they're your guide, right? Um, so another question I also like like to ask, sort of at the end, is you know when you look back, like why do you think you make games? Like why? Is that the thing you chose what to, to do? Your is that why is that what you chose what to do with your life? <laughs> mm. A lot of things fascinate me, and um, I thought I was going to be an artist for a while as well. Mm-hmm. So my granddad was a painter. Okay, and uh, so I draw um, as a hobby, or at least I, I did a lot more when I was a kid. Right, um, and uh, and so there was that. And then there's programming, which I really, really love. And so, you know, it's a natural kind of intersection of them, of course. 
but also now, you know, I'm running a business about it. And that's also fascinating. So it's kind of like I get to do all the things I like to do right. all at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, working with with brilliant people is, I mean, Jeff and, and Kevin and James and all, they're all ridiculously talented, you know? Mm. It's super fun. I don't, I don't know where else you would find all of that put together. Sure. Yeah. And it's a great time for games in general, right? Like we're figuring this stuff out as we go. It is. It is. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's not, it's definitely, um, I, I laugh at best practices, actually. I, I, <laughs> yeah, well, it's a crazy concept for our industry, right? Right, it is, yeah. it is, it's hilarious, and every GDC, you'll, you'll hear best practices, and I go back to the Casual Connect thing about casual games, yeah. because, boy, did they have best practices back then, you know? I believe the Madden team has best practices, right? The what team? The Madden team. And the Madden team, right? right. Like, they've been right. making the same game for right. 20 years, right? right. Like, yeah, I bet yeah, they yeah. have some best practices. But when you get outside of that, like, who knows, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, so there's just so much um, to, to try and so much to, to play around with. Um, even in the hardest days, I still had a smile on my face when walking to work. Right. Um, it was just the long hours... And not seeing my family that, you know, really started to get to me. Sure. Which one of the most things I'm most proud of is that, you know, Don't Starve had no overtime. Right. The whole Don't Starve no overtime. Invisible Ink. I I think they did work some more, but nothing, nothing like what we used to do. Not even close, you know. Yeah. You can go into into our office on the weekend and it's literally empty. It is actually empty. That's good. Sounds good. Cool. All right, well, thanks for sitting down for this long interview. Thanks, it was super uh, Yeah, I think people will really enjoy it.